does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Good Tuesday morning to you. Another nice temp outside. I think it sounds like it's supposed to be a little bit overcast today, and then I think rain starts to creep into our forecast. Sun for the weekend, though. Potentially today, later this week as well. But again, temps well into the 50s, so no complaints on that end. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton with you here. Um, early one tonight for the Indiana Hoosiers. 6.30 tip from Bloomington, so we'll get you set for that one, it's the Nemesis, which is just shocking to say, especially to old Big Ten folks, but that's what the Rutgers Scarlet Knights have been to the Hoosiers, so we will touch on that. Continued look into the Colts' coaching search, and uh, we are, what, a little over 48 hours away from the NBA trade deadline as the Pacers head to Miami tonight for a game against the Heat tomorrow. You kind of forgot, Jake, that was Arguably the highlight of the season so far. That win in Miami. Remember that? Boston, Miami, the two road wins they had. That does feel like forever ago, does it not? Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, Jake, that's the last road win for this team. Really? You're probably right. I don't know that I have the cheat sheet in front of me. I thought we looked that up. December 23rd. Well, I mean, you got to consider when they've only lost or they've only won two of their last 14 games. December 23rd, their last road win. Tyrese Halliburton had... 43 that night in Miami. That was after kind of each team, you know, both of them kind of a slugfest over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse earlier in the month of December. So uh, right now that's where the Pacers are at this week before a back-to-back coming up with Phoenix and Washington this weekend. Uh, did you do anything fun last night? No, You know, fun on Monday nights, boy. Uh, that's not in my repertoire. My wife watched The Bachelor. Yeah, that would automatically exclude that, right? Guy sucks. She hates him. Uh, that's she'll keep it. watching though, right? She will keep watching because she just laughs. Uh, how about you? Are you feeling better? So that was crazy. I and I will do this a hundred times out of a hundred. So anybody can spare me that tells me it was dumb to do. Uh, I had to get the shingles vaccine. I mentioned that yesterday. And I, I had not had a tetanus shot in forever, and they were like, you know, you might as well get that. So I did both on Sunday. And I have never had, like, an adverse reaction from a vaccine of any sort. Now, did you do that hoping that you'd feel bad and you could take Monday off? No, I did it because I'm, I'm always like, you know, my arm will be a little sore, but, like, whatever. And, I mean, it wasn't, like, knocking on death's door level feeling, but I was like, man, do I have the flu? I just was achy all day yesterday and had no energy. I basically went home and laid around and didn't do anything all day. And then I went to bed at like 9.30. And other than being a little slightly congested, which I think is just, I mean, that happens to me every winter, I feel fine. It was crazy. That sounds like a pretty good Monday. Go home and do nothing and go to bed (laughs) at 9 o'clock. Yeah. It's par for the course, right? Um, where are you at on tonight? I, I don't look at this as trap game at all for Indiana. I think this is the ideal opponent you would want to see after such a big win because, Jake, it has your full attention. It better have your full attention. They've beaten you six straight times. Um, 
and you know several of those games have not even really been close. I, I get that Rutgers plays a football style and they can be physical, but to me, this would be better than saying uh, Northwestern is coming to Assembly Hall on Tuesday night, right. and you kind of got to get amped up for it. The last time you beat Rutgers, you want to take a stab at who the leading scorer was for Indiana? Oh boy. Um. That that's. It would be. It couldn't be <clears throat> Jawan Morgan. It's been since then, right? Three guys in double figures: Jawan Morgan, Romeo Langford, and Devonte Green. Wow, that is amazing. Race Thompson played in the game. Shows you how long Race Thompson has been at IU, right? <laughs> uh, nothing like a couple. Of, uh, Justin Smith and Evan Fitzner got minutes for the Hoosiers that night. It's been fourteen hundred and thirty-one days since Indiana beat Rutgers in basketball. Do you know a, a good Rutgers Indiana trivia question? What is that? Indiana's finest team. Indiana's biggest feather in its cap. Indiana's proudest season shared what in common with Rutgers? Oh, the, were they a Final Four participant that that year? Keep going. Around that year? Keep going. A lot of people forget this. Were they a one seed? Keep going. God, that's about all I got. Jim Valvano's yelling Rutgers basketball. The 1976 Final Four featured two undefeated teams. So Rutgers and Indiana. Rutgers was huh. undefeated in the 76 Final Four along with Indiana. Coached by Gary Peichel, Steve's father. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Rutgers was defeated in both games. Back then you had a consolation game. They finished the season 31-2. and two. Talk about a buzzkill. Yeah, boy, that's a, quite the dud to end it. But still, undefeated in the 76 Final Four. But you look right now, Big Ten standings. What a wild-looking two through eight. Yeah. It, there is a log jam, right? So you got Rutgers at eight and four. Obviously, Purdue 11 and two. Rutgers in second at eight and four. And then is it six teams at seven and five? Iowa, Maryland, Northwestern, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, all seven and five. <laughs> 63-48, that was the first meeting earlier this year. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis in foul trouble. No Jalen hood Shafino. Xavier Johnson was horrible. Rutgers pretty much just threw the ball at the rim and got every offensive rebound. Speaking of Iowa, have you been following at all what's going on with Iowa football? Um, I thought I – yeah, did they um, – Ference extended his son, who's the offensive coordinator, and said if you don't score 25 points per game, you'll be fired. What I saw was that it was he has incentives up to an additional $865,000 if they average 25 points a game. Oh, I thought there was a termination part in there as well. But I, I thought it. people are like all up in arms like, wait a minute, you now have a family that's like, I mean, it's a state university, right? I mean, I, you know, if his last name was Bowen, he would have been fired midway through last season. Probably true. How old is his son? What if he's like 22? I mean, imagine <laughs> watching Iowa's offense. Being like, oh yeah, let's run it back with that guy. I but it, hey man, being and you know what, Kirk Ferentz, by all account, I don't know him at all, but in the few times being a Big Ten, a media person in Big Ten territory, could not be a nicer, more accommodating guy. His son is thirty nine. Okay, what's his son's career consisted of? Uh, he was the. 
OQC for the Patriots. I don't know what that means. Offensive quarterbacks coach? Quality control. Yeah, quality I, oh, yeah, control. I guess so. Uh, from 2008 to 2010, 2011, uh, Patriots tight ends coach. Okay. Uh, 2012 to 2014, Iowa offensive line coach. And basically just switching positions, coaching for Iowa from 2012 okay. to present. So there you go. Yeah. Decade working for dad. But Iowa fans are not pleased. And Kirk Ferentz at one time was like the most beloved figure in the state of Iowa. But that'll be interesting tonight, Kevin. Um, you know... Sure, certainly got to match your physicality. I'm not acting like Rutgers is some awful but team. You always have to worry about like the letdown, right? Yeah, but I, I just feel like this opponent, Jake, I get that it's Rutgers, but this is not the old Big Ten lifers going to, you know, maybe it is let down on paper, but... If a team has beaten you six straight times, I want to say four of those six are by at least nine points. They should get your attention immediately. Immediately. Especially in, in your own building. You know, I think this is one of those games where, yeah, it's a 630 tip, but I think your crowd should have a little bit of angst over what Rutgers has done to your program, and so that should be able to lift you a bit. But we'll see. Indiana favored by four and a half in that one. Uh, we mentioned it yesterday. The Colts and you know trying to put together a, a coaching staff. Obviously, the head coach debate is still up in the air. Um, they did lose an assistant yesterday, Scotty Montgomery, on the offensive side of the ball. He's going up to Dan Campbell in Detroit. He was the running backs coach from last season. I believe he was one of the coaches who turned down the offensive coordinator job. He was kind of highly thought of, wasn't he? For Jeff Saturday, yeah. He, you know, he really has a lot of history in the college ranks. Bless you. Um, a lot of the run-pass option stuff the Colts have done over the past couple of years. Scotty Montgomery was you know, kind of big into that. Um, I know it wasn't a huge staple of their offense given the quarterback situation, but that is the first name we've seen that ended the year with Indianapolis that has moved on to another job. Um, so that'll be something, again, to just keep an eye on. Do you see any more of these coaches? Um, I would guess more of the offensive coaches would move on or maybe even not be asked back. Uh, But Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone remain out there. And, you know, I think there are a few candidates you see as a head coaching candidate that would like to retain a Bubba Ventrone or Gus Bradley as well. I'm asking this rhetorically, not legitimately, okay? Are we at the point now where we just don't talk about the Colts coaching search until they make an announcement? Not literally, but I'm saying. Yeah, that'd be a tough three hours for us. But doesn't it feel like there's like just kind of nothing new to report now and we're just kind of circling at this point? You know, point? I, I thought last night you could hear some things from Eric Bieniemy and Shane Steichen. Um, I know Bieniemy touched on that he feels like he is still a candidate with the Colts and he thought the interview went well. Um, Shane Steichen, I don't know if anything he said was reported yet, so we'll have to see if any of that trickles out. I think something I'm watching related with Philadelphia is this, Jake. Philadelphia's got two younger offensive coaches on their staff. One is Kevin Petulo, who actually used to be here in Indy with Frank Reich. I'm watching to see if Petulo goes to Carolina to be their OC. Their quarterback's coach is Brian Johnson. Um, he's a guy that I've talked about before in the show. He's worked with Jalen Hurts at Mississippi State. Um, really has a nice kind of young quarterback resume. Um, and by Jalen Hurts of Mississippi State. I meant Dak Prescott of Mississippi State. Worked with Jalen Hurts, of course, with the Eagles. But Brian Johnson, Jake, is interviewing for the Notre Dame offensive coordinator job. You would think if Shane Steichen is going to take the job with the Colts, 
wouldn't those guys on staff have a hunch of that? And therefore, they would be more inclined to want to stay in Philly and be promoted to offensive coordinator? That's kind of where we're at right now. Like, you've got to look at these kind of like ancillary names and pieces and be like, all right, if a Patulo takes the offensive coordinator job in Carolina, or if Brian Johnson takes the OC job with Notre Dame, I mean, the OC job with the Eagles is certainly better than the offensive coordinator job with Notre Dame, you would think that they feel like Shane Steichen is coming back to Philadelphia. Um, Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I was curious what happened last night at Super Bowl Media Day. If you would hear anything from those two. Did we get good hijinks at Media Day? I saw somebody ask Nick Sirianni if it's a must-win game. That seems to be a tradition, right? Seemed like a lot of people behaved well. Have they kind of weeded out? For those that are unfamiliar, Super Bowl Media Day is always where... Mrs. Kelsey brought cookies. I, I thought that was a nice touch Okay, for Travis and Jason. They have the players set up in little kiosks and then like the coaches are all around it's it's really turned into i remember when it was here in indianapolis they had a new thing where people could come in and sit in the stands and you had a headset and you could listen to the different channels and see the booths um and to a great extent it's the depending on what level of media you are it's your one chance to talk to guys before the game itself um I'm not going to be the old guy in the room and say it's played out. I do feel like they have turned it into, you know, it's like opening night in the Super Bowl and they have all these different events. I think it's kind of gotten lost in the forest a little bit. Does that make sense? Like at one time it was like that was the massive stuff. I mean, you were seeing stuff everywhere of stuff that's gone on for media day. And now because it's a week out and everything else. I, I feel like other than one or two major storylines, the other stuff kind of gets lost in yeah, the shuffle. Again, I think it's just a one-stop shop for a ton of people. And the PR stunts that you've referenced, I just think those are the, like the 1% of what, what goes on. Um, you Like Chris Hagan, for example, he's out there from Fox 59. He's doing a lot of like Fox-related stuff around the U.S., not just for the indie station here. But I know he caught up with Shane Steichen last night. You know, that's a perfect chance for right. an indie media but did reporter he say anything? that it, Chris didn't uh, reference him saying anything. Uh, but that's a perfect chance to talk to someone um, that you maybe wouldn't get the opportunity to. And I get if, also, if there was an Indianapolis connection in the game, like the, 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 right. there really isn't. I mean, what you get a lot of like, is this. What you get a lot of George is... George Karloftis, for example. If Chris right. Hagan wanted to talk to him, he could. Or you get, you know, the... I remember being at the Super Bowl in Atlanta and there were two guys from literally they were from like Grand Forks, North Dakota, because like a player from North Dakota State was the backup center on the Titans. And I'm like, that's cool. I get it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, But I I, nothing very rarely does anything like big breaking come out of Super Bowl media days. What I'm getting at. No, I I would agree with that. Um, I think one thing. That we've talked a lot about here over the last week or so is this debate over do you hire for the offensive side of the ball or do you hire, you know, for that leader? And again, the numbers on the offensive side of the ball, it's rather astronomical to see recent hires in the NFL and how successful they've been when they come from the offensive background. But I went back, Jake, and, and thought to what Jim Irsay said the night that Jeff Saturday was hired as interim and Frank Reich was fired. And Irsay made it very clear that night 
that the number one attribute that he is looking for in a head coach is the word that we all make fun of, and that is leader. And when you look at this list of names that the Colts have, and we can get into some of these, maybe we can look at some pros and cons of of some of the names, because I know a lot of them just kind of run together because there's so many of them left. But when you talk Chris Boward and Jim Irsay, I could see them siding more with leader, even though the trend in the NFL is offense, offense, offense. No matter how you slice it. We've talked about the playoff teams. You know, each of the final four teams, each of the last two years, all offensive-minded coaches. You take it back around further, it's 13 of the 16 teams that make it to the final eight. But if you just look at last year, and I, again, I know it's a small sample size, but you look at the eight coaches Jake hired in last year's cycle, five are on offense, three are on defense, meaning that's kind of where their backgrounds come from. There were four coaches that finished with better than 500 records last year. All four came from the offensive side of the ball. None of the defensive coaches. Hell, one of the defensive coaches got fired in Lovey Smith. So you look at all that recent evidence, it screams offense. It screams Brian Callahan from Cincinnati. It screams Shane Steichen from Philadelphia. Yet, I could totally see Ballard and Ursay saying, nope, leader, leader, leader over offense. I agree with that. I, I think also you have to look circumstantially, Kevin, to be fair. I mean, you know, Lovey Smith was a defensive-minded coach, and he got fired. Well, who, who was he working with? Sure, but Jake, there's more than just Lovey Smith. Again, four of the five offensive coaches no, I get finished it. with better than 500 records. It, it, yes, was Lovey Smith thrown into an awful situation? Sure. But Dennis Allen in New Orleans, Matt Eberflus in Chicago, like... There, I think, is a lot of different examples, experienced or inexperienced, you could point to right now where if you don't have that offensive head coach, you're always scrambling a little bit. I think the thing... I'm going to make a statement here that's going to sound harsh, not necessarily intended to, but I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree, Kevin. I think what you are talking about is football trend or football common sense. And I think what you are trying to apply it to is a football team whose owner does not believe that trend or common sense is something that he needs to fall into because he's been around the game longer than than trends and common sense have been. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that. I think you could also argue the trends have changed since Jim Irsay. Well, trends always change, you of know, course. Of upper course. quartile, upper quartile. Right, we, of we, course. We, we've talked about it. That's I mean, no sports longer, are cyclical, no question. It's no copycat longer business and sports are cyclical, no doubt. That's why I think Jim Irsay is sitting back and saying, I think that's exactly the point. I think Jim Irsay sits back, Kevin, and says, yeah, I can hear Kevin Bowen talking about the trend of offense, or I can hear... Adam Schefter talking about the trend of OCs or whatever else. But I've been in this game a long time. And I remember the trends of the special teams guys being gurus. I remember the, the trends of the Buddy Ryan 46 zone. You know, I remember all the trends. And it's, they rise and they fall. They rise and they fall. And this one may be ready to fall. And I'm going to be the guy whose ship was on top of a different wave. I, I don't think you can rule that out, that that, that is his thought process. Or his mindset. So, again, some things to just keep an eye on. You know, what happens with those Philadelphia 
assistant coaches. And as we get a little bit deeper into this week, I, I again, the closer you get to the Super Bowl, the more I think you would hear nothing until next Monday. I thought you were making a call over there. No, I've got the new, uh, I, I did the new iPhone update, whatever, right? No, I still haven't done it. And it has like a mind of its own. Like all of a sudden, like you, I don't even know, man. It just kind of flips over and you, you move it a certain way and it takes you to a new app and there's a guy talking and it's like, what the hell is going on? It's like poltergeist. Mark, you're laughing. Are you experienced? No, I haven't this? done it yet, but I, I feel like that happens often with those updates. It's yeah. Just, and I know I sound like I'm old. Like but. it's supposed to be, you know, it's sometimes they get too user friendly. Yeah, Derek goes, who on this list of candidates would they consider to be leaders? I wouldn't consider Jeff Saturday a leader. Uh, I think the Colts would. Um, but I think you look at names like Aaron Glenn and Wink Martindale and Rich Passaccia. Those are names, even Raheem Morris, those are names that would fall into that category. I know we can get a little stereotypical, like, oh, the offensive guy can't lead and the leader can't coach offense. Obviously, what you're trying to do is find a bit of a balance with that. Uh, but we can get more into those uh, candidates. I saw people just freaking out yesterday, Jake, about this Kentucky Pacers hat night. Did you? It is bizarre, though. I have a... I, I, I don't have one ounce of care. I do. Really? Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, I guess I should have more, more, more venom. The Pacers are, and I get it. Is it the closest NBA team to Lexington, the Pacers? Seems like good marketing to me. I don't think this is the case. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say I'm 99% certain this is not the case. But when you are a franchise that occasionally there are people that raise an eyebrow as to whether or not you could be a candidate if the city of Louisville ever appropriated enough money for a relocation... I would not probably be doing things to present the idea that you are trying to appease the Louisville or state of Kentucky fan base. That would be my answer. I just think it's a team with really poor attendance trying to. They're not. They don't have poor attendance though. I mean, don't they rank near the bottom of the league? They might have heading into this year, but the game I was there. I've been to probably twenty games this year, and every one of them, people are like, "Wow, that's a really good crowd." I, I bet they had. I don't know. They, I'll bet they had 19,000 there on Sunday for the Louisville night. Which, they're handing out Donovan Mitchell I didn't see hats. any Donovan Mitchell hats, I will say that. I didn't know they did that. I was at the game. I didn't know they did that. Pacers ranked 29th out of 30 teams in attendance this season. Okay. But I don't I, I don't think that's it. I mean, I, do they really think that people are going to drive up from Lexington for a Pacers I mean, Kentucky I'm pretty hat? sure. I don't know if they still have it this year, but I know people that are Kentucky fans that the Pacers used to have a ticket package. Again, I don't know if they still do. That literally the games were like Anthony Davis's team, John Wall's team, you know, uh, Julius Randle's team. Basically, they had like a Kentucky package. I think it's different though, Kevin, when you're taking your logo and attaching it to the logo of a team from a different state. And in particular, for those that are diehards of your franchise that have been around a while, the state that was your chief nemesis. 
Yeah, I just don't think there's like Pacers fans that, that that are out there going to be like, I'm not going to buy tickets now to a game because they have I, a I don't Kentucky think that. Pacers I think it looks hat. weird, though. I mean, do you really think anybody like in Kentucky is like, I can't wait to get an Indiana Pacers hat with a Kentucky yeah, it, logo it's inside? probably not a lot, but... Like, would you go to a New England... Okay. Again, if, if I'm 29th in the league in attendance, I'm going to look to try and tap into other areas. And when you look at Louisville or Lexington and the closest NBA team is the Indiana Pacers, might as well try and do my job. So when... When Romeo Langford was a Celtic, would you have bought online a Boston Celtics hat with an IU logo on the side? No. I, I, I don't think it's exactly apples to apples. I think the regional aspect to it. Like, I am a Cincinnati Reds fan because they are the closest Major League Baseball team to me. Right. I get it that they want... I get it. So, I I just thought the I get that they are wanting, yesterday was wild. But... but it shows you how much for, Indiana for people, Purdue okay, fans hate Kentucky. For people of my age group, when the Pacers, people of my age group, the reason they love the Pacers is because they were introduced to it via the rivalry with the Kentucky Colonels. And they, the Kentucky Colonels were the New England Patriots. The Kentucky Colonels were the New York Knicks. The Kentucky Colonels were the Kentucky Wildcats. All of those things. And in addition to that, you cannot overlook, even though I don't think this is the case, and I think it's probably overthinking it. I do think that when you have an owner who we all know is, and, and God love him, he's a great owner, and and but who is older with out-of-state children, and people then wonder about what the long-term viability and future of the franchise is, when Louisville is one of the cities that has been making overtures via the Yum Center about getting an NBA relocation or expansion franchise, it's going to make people feel uncomfortable when the franchise, no matter what the reasoning is, is clearly all of a sudden trying to appease to a fan base in Louisville. Yeah, I just thought it was a bit overblown yesterday with it. Um, Yeah, Devin Booker, of course, playing for the Suns on Friday night. That's why you see that. Uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, had the Louisville hat night the other night. I know it's something they've done with Notre Dame and Pat Connaughton, Butler with Gordon Hayward, obviously Jay Nivey, Purdue, etc. This is something they've done with the in-state programs, obviously the out-of-state. That's what really is rough on some people's feathers on that one. Joel Erickson going to join us at 8.30. As we said, a little over 48 hours away from the NBA trade deadline. Alex Golden is going to join us at 9 o'clock to chat more about that. It is a nice temperature to start this Tuesday morning here. In Indy, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, tonight in Bloomington, Indiana, taking on Rutgers, 6.30 tip. IU a four-and-a-half point favorite. Jake, we talked about it earlier. It's six straight losses to the Scarlet Knights. 1,431 days since you last beat them. And only two of these six games have been by eight points or less. Uh, 63-45, or 63-48, that was the matchup the first time around. No Jalen hood Shafino in that one. Trace Jackson Davis battled foul trouble. Indiana couldn't throw it in the ocean. And Rutgers got every offensive rebound. And let me tell you what else is going to happen tonight. Probably around the time getting underway that the Indiana game concludes. You ready? Butler tonight, you mark it down, write it down. Is this a must win? They're all must win. 
But yes, Butler tonight at home against St. John's, the Johnnies. Butler snaps a five-game losing streak. St. John's is struggling this. That season. is a lock of the day. Four and nine, I want to say. Or I will guarantee nine. it right now. As sure as the fact that my name is Jake Query and my telephone number is 523-9288, I will tell you that Butler beat St. John's tonight. Also, Ball State at Central Michigan. Michael Lewis's gang, three-game win streak. Cards, 16-7, and 7-3 seven, seven and three in the MAC. That game gets underway at 7 o'clock tonight. You can put some money on Butler now? Butler's a slight favorite so confident. in that one. Again, Butler and Hinkle you. this year, Telling they you. have won a couple of games. Uh, all right, the Pacers, they're off to Miami tonight. They take on the Heat tomorrow night. That's a 7.30 tip, so a little bit later than usual. The NBA trade deadline coming up Thursday at 3 o'clock. Again, we'll chat with Alex Gold and more about that at 9 o'clock. Good news on the Tyrese Halliburton front. Um, you saw a scoring dip a little bit over the weekend. That left elbow brace, though, is coming off. Here was Halliburton yesterday at practice talking about that. I told me I don't got to wear the brace anymore, so thank God. Uh, now if I'm missing shots, I can only blame myself. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just excited to get it off. And you know, I understand our medical team doing a good job keeping me healthy. Knowing, you know, I, they told me if I take it off, I got to come out. And all the times it came off, it wasn't me throwing it off; it was falling off. I had to just get rid of it because there was no way to fix it. But yeah, I'm just excited to get it off my arm for sure. I thought I heard a Jeremiah Johnson chuckle in the background there. Really? He was chuckling when he was introducing me to Rocky. No, I can imagine. I can tell you that. Yeah, and then calling over security. <laughs> this is the guy. This is the guy I've been yeah, telling uh, you about. This the guy we got to watch here. Telling uh, you. No issues with Rocky. All was good. Uh, by the way, the AP and the coaches poll in college basketball, there is not a new number one after Purdue losing to Indiana. I guess really a testament to both Purdue and Indiana that the Hoos- or that the Boilermakers stayed as the number one. Did they team lose in the some land. votes? They were unanimous last week. Did they lose? Uh, that is a good question. <clears throat> they did lose some votes. As a matter of fact, looks like they lost seventeen of them on the uh, coaches' side. Thirteen of those went to Houston, one to Alabama, two to Tennessee, and one to Texas. Indiana eighteen in both polls. Give me a number one through twenty-five, Mark Dyke. Twenty-two. You want the coaches' poll or the AP poll? Whichever one. The 22nd ranked team, you have North Carolina State. They're 22nd in both polls. Uh, Let's go with 11. Cut that in half. Number 11, uh, (laughs) you go with Kansas State in one poll. Iowa State, a lot of states here. Iowa State is number 11 in the AP poll. And mark a number for me. 17. 17. Providence in one poll for me. TCU in the other. And Terry Moore's Hoosiers. Steve, very excited by that. Terry Moore's Hoosiers up to number two in the land. They will take on Iowa coming up Thursday night. Caitlin Clark, for those that don't know, she is like the Steph Curry of the women's game right now. It's impressive the number she puts up on a nightly basis. So a big one in Assembly Hall uh, for IU. I believe that's their highest. Yeah, it's got to be the highest ranking in school history there. Number two for the Hoosiers as the month of February is underway. All right, good Tuesday morning to you. Uh, we're going to have Joel Erickson join us in a little bit less than an hour, update you on things Colts head coach-wise. We're going to get more into that next, kind of look at the pros and cons of some of these candidates. And really, Chris Ballard, I think, kind of warned us of this uh, back about a month ago. So we'll touch on that coming up next here. Kevin Acquire. It is 18 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on kind of an overcast-looking morning, but... A little bit warmer. That's the good news this morning. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5-1075, The Fan. A lot we've discussed already so far this morning, including the Pacers' Kentucky hats. We'll probably get into that later in the show. Uh, Purdue, 
and Indiana College basketball conversation, the Hoosiers and Rutgers tonight. But back to the Colts' head coaching question. This is a really good question, I thought, from John that I wanted to read to you, Kevin. Thought you might have some good insight here. Because I think we look at this and we look at how drawn out this is for the Colts. And to the Colts' credit, this is exactly what – and I'll give Chris Ballard this credit – Chris Ballard is pretty transparent a lot of times of we can sit here and overanalyze things and it's like, guys, this is exactly what I told you was going to happen. And this is pretty much what he said was going to happen, right? That it was going to be a lengthy process that could go into mid-February. And here we are closing in on that. But John says, guys, how did normal NFL teams hire coaches? Does the GM drive the bus and the owner gives final approval? Seems like Ursay drives the bus and has final say. Two things. Why have Ballard and why would any coach want to come into what looks like a dysfunctional mess? Yeah, it's a very fair uh, question from John there. I think it really depends on teams. I think there are a lot of ownership groups that take a back seat. um, And then, you know, they might, whatever. Okay, there's three finalists. I'll come in then and meet with the three finalists. Some owners, I think, a little bit more upfront and they want to be involved in the process from day one. You know, something that I feel like has delayed this search a bit, Jake, is Jim Mercer not wanting to be involved in that first round of interviews. So basically, when you get to round two, you're almost starting over because the interviews have to be lengthy in time because it's Jim Mercer's really first time to get to know a lot of these candidates. So I think a lot of it depends on how the owners and how involved they want to be. I mean, Mark certainly has seen it firsthand that the Bears ownership group did not want to be heavily involved prior. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it just depends on what you have from an organizational standpoint. I, I do go back to an Ursay comment, again, the night that Jeff Saturday was hired as the interim, and he made it very clear, when you're looking for head coaches, leadership is the number one thing. That's number one. And now, he said that in early November. We've just seen a playoff cycle play out where the offensive coaches continue to dominate in the postseason, and you're in a championship game where you have a retread in Andy Reid, and you have a first-time head coach in Nick Sirianni, but the theme between both of them is they come from the offensive side of the ball. I know some people were curious about who would fall into that leadership category. Jake, there's a couple that I would throw in there. One would be Rich Bisaccia who is a longtime special teams coordinator. He's currently with the Packers. The thing that stands out most on his resume was with the Raiders two years ago when John Gruden resigned and they had all the just really awful off-the-field incidents. Sachi came in as interim, 7-5 and record, led them to the playoffs, and Gus Bradley was on that staff as defensive coordinator. A couple other Colts defensive coaches were on that staff. Rod Marinelli was on that staff, for those unfamiliar with him. That is a extremely close confidant to Chris Ballard, longtime NFL assistant. Uh, Basaccia's resume is pretty much special teams coordinator and assistant head coach throughout his NFL career. So I think he would qualify as someone you would put there. And then you go back to the Wink Martindale conversation. Remember when we had Chuck Pagano on? And this would have been, what, a week or two into the coaching search? Right. One of the things Chuck said to us at the end of that conversation was, you know, you guys, I think he thought we were actually going to talk to Wink Martindale. He's like, you guys would love Wink. He is Bruce Arians. And know full well how much Chris Bowden and Jim Irsay had adored Bruce Arians. 
Um, in Ballard's case, a little bit more from afar. Ursay's case, of course, seeing it uphand, or f- firsthand, I should say. Those are the two to me, Jake, along with a little bit of Aaron Glenn, along with some Raheem Morris, but those two are like, when you talk about leader, that's why I think they've made it further here than maybe their names have popped up in other areas. I could see that. I, I think here's the reality, Kevin. And maybe I'm, maybe it's dangerous of me in this position to say this. I think we can all read tea leaves or scrutinize as to who we think is the clubhouse leader, but I don't know that the Colts know yet who is the clubhouse leader. I think they probably got four or five people right. If there was a if there was a clear cut, if there was a clear cut candidate for the Colts, they would have hired him by now, right? Unless they're waiting on somebody who is still coaching. Yeah, I think the deeper it gets into the week and you don't hear any leaks, doesn't that mean a Shane Steichen and Eric Bieniemy? That's what it would seem certain, right? I want to play this Chris Bauer clip, and this was a month ago now um, because the search has now gone on for a month. But, Jake, to the point you were making earlier, Chris Ballard's words, and again, I know a lot of fans are pissed off about it, but his words have pretty much turned into action. And don't start with an end in mind, okay? It's big. You know, a lot of times what happens is you get a vision of what you want before you, I mean, like, you've made your mind up, and then you might ignore somebody that's really freaking good right in front of your face. So we've got a very detailed process put together on the traits and attributes we're looking for in the head coach. Don't care what side of the ball. Um, And then to be patient and take your time and make sure we have a thorough interview with everybody. Consistent, thorough. Um, I don't care if it takes till mid-February to hire the head coach. It's about getting it right. The only thing, and this is, I respect all that. It's kind of scary how much he's followed that plan. Consistent, thorough, mid-February, no wind in sight. The, the, the one thing that I think a lot of people feel is the possibility. I think people are starting to wonder if there's the possibility that the Colts actually didn't know what they were looking for and went into it figuring that they didn't know what they were looking for until it finally would pop up in front of them. And that has yet to happen. It's hard to believe that's the case, and I feel like kind of an idiot for even presenting that, but it's the longer it goes, does it not feel that way? Yeah, I just think it's I mean, so... at this point, what are they going to learn about a candidate they don't already know? Well, I, I don't necessarily think, Jake, they're going to sit down and do any, if... Many, if any, more interviews. I think they could have just gotten together yesterday and get together again today and say, all right, let's make a decision. Um, And then, you know, we'll see how they internally want to decide and making that public in terms of the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, if the candidate is in that game, um, how they want to react to all of that. Um, I think one thing that I wanted to look at as well with the two offensive coaches. Because if you look at the final seven names, um, again, we, we mentioned some of those leader, quote-unquote, guys just a minute ago. Raheem Morris, Wink Martindale, Rich Bisaccia, Aaron Glenn. The two offensive names, Shane Steichen and Brian Callahan. 
Jake, do you consider it more of a pro that Shane Steichen is calling for him, that he's calling the plays in the Super Bowl, or more of a pro that Brian Callahan is the son of an NFL head coach? Oh, the former. Right? Calling plays in the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, I think experience of a guy is far more important than his nepotism, don't you? Yeah, and again, nepotism always comes with a negative connotation with it. Well, that his genetics. Yeah, I think experience, Brian Callahan has some of that because he's been around the game for so, so long, and he's seen the good and the bad. Both of them, let me say this, Kevin, both of those situations, a guy calling plays in the Super Bowl, a guy whose father has been an NFL head coach, both of those things are going to serve the same positive attribute, and that is protect a guy from getting completely lost in the moment or right. overwhelmed in the big moment. For him. Correct. I think what you like about Steichen is he feels that game day pressure really to the nth degree. You know, I mean, he's he's the one that's going to get scrutinized. If the Bengals have a bad day offensively, it goes Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, and then it would go to, to Brian Callahan. Their quarterback resume, I also think, is interesting. Callahan probably has the more decorated one. And again, that's the Peyton Manning. You have Manning... He was a position coach for Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, and then, of course, most recently with Burrow. Yeah, I mean, that's... That speaks for itself. But, Jake, if you look at Steichen, he's probably has a little bit more of the development piece. Now, he had several years with Phillip Rivers. Of course, you didn't need to develop Phillip Rivers at, at that point in his career. But he was the OC for Justin Herbert for a season, and then most recently, of course, has been with Jalen Hurts for the last two years. Considering your desperate need to develop a young quarterback here, would you side more Steichen? Yes, because, because he's got the young quarterback. I, I think with Callahan, you could certainly make the argument. Unfair it may be. How, how many of those guys? Give me the four that Callahan worked with again. Peyton Manning. And how long had Peyton Manning met a quarterback when he got him? I think it was like his first year in Denver. So you know, okay, well over a decade. Okay, uh, with Matthew Stafford, with Derek Carr, and Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was the one that he would have gotten as a young player, right? The rest of them had been right. were on autopilot, right? So how do you look at that? Do you look at, well, he wasn't really part of their development, but what did he maybe learn in watching Stafford, I, now that watching is, Carr, that's watching the thing, right? Danny. And how does he apply that? That's what you got to see. I mean, Joe Burrow is obviously an elite-level player, but he's also thrown to elite-level receivers. I, I And all of Callahan's QBs, Jake, I think are a similar style. They're mostly pocket passers. Correct. Whereas Pure you, passers, yes. Whereas you look at Steichen, a little bit more variety. Rivers, certainly a pocket passer. I go back to, again, Kevin, I, I, I'm i the guy that is a bigger believer in the Jimmy and Joes than the X's and O's. You know, I mean... Which, that kind of attracts me to Callahan a little bit. And, Raleigh and, Massimino was a great coach at Villanova and a bad one at Cleveland State. You know? Yeah, players not... Not plays. By the way, Antonio Gates and Sean Merriman were on The Bachelor last night. Sean Merriman, really? he would do the lights out celebration. Isn't Sean Merriman, isn't he the one that had, didn't he date, uh, what was her name, Tia Tequila? I thought he had some interesting off the field Yeah, he's had some issues, right? Life, I'm surprised yeah. that they would put him on a show, honestly. Kidding aside, I'm surprised that they would put him in a show like that because didn't he have some no, I looked up pretty there, ugly I like, stuff? Is that Sean Merriman? Gates, I've always heard great things. I've briefly talked to them. I've always heard good things about him. Uh, Tim asked this. Do you think Chris Bowd regrets having the opportunity to hire Mike Vrabel when he was too focused on Josh McDaniels? Without question. Think so? That's the end in sight comment. When he says end in sight, that clip that we just played, that is 1,000% it. He walked in there, 
and he wanted Josh McDaniels. And he interviewed guys just to interview guys and wasn't thorough. I don't, and these are my words um, with a little bit of education in it. And that's why I think a guy like Aaron Glenn, Jake, who you had the dream about the other night. That's right. Which that'll be nice if he gets hired. That'll be a nice little icebreaker. Um, that's why I think he has made it this far in the process because I think his resume, his background, his style, blunt, aggressive, I think it's got some Vrabel vibes to it. Are you hoping that Aaron Glenn gets hired just because I had the dream while I was underneath the um, the wackiness of the vaccine? Oh, God, I was nervous where you are going with that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a little, I could totally see, you know. That'd get us off on the right foot, wouldn't it? It's being like, yeah, we're going to hold off maybe on, you no, know, maybe you guys so. can, you know, touch base at training camp. I think they'd, I think they'd find it fun. Yeah, Aaron, I had a dream about you. <laughs> it was a vision. It wasn't a dream, it was a vision. It was a fever dream vision. Gosh. Yes. Now you really sound like... Jeff Saturday, you know, in his pitch. I've got a vision. Okay. Significant change. Haven't heard much about Jeff Saturday. It seems to... You would think if Jeff Saturday got word that he was not going to be the head coach, wouldn't ESPN look at him this week and be like, oh, he'd be a good person to throw on our uh, telecast this week? Good point. I still think he's in the mix. Boy, I I do not, but with Jim Irsay, you know. I'm well, telling you. I say you know. You really never know, frankly, with him. But uh, Should we talk a little trade deadline for the Pacers? Sure. Let's do that next. Joel Erickson, 830. Alex Gold at 9 o'clock. We'll take your calls as well. 317-239-1070. Uh, kind of a foggy-ish overcast would probably be the better word to use. Start to this Tuesday morning. Temperature pretty nice outside. Uh, looks like that's going to be the case. For a bulk of the week. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. All right, Kev, here's my question of the day for you. One of probably ten, granted. You, um, I'm trying to think in your lifetime if you have gone through many expansion drafts. You know when there's like an expansion franchise and then every team... Sure. Well, you think I'm 40, so... <laughs> That's right. You You're there for the there. Panthers and Jaguars. Certainly Panthers, yeah. Jags. Tony Baselli, right? That's right. With the Texans. That's right. So, so walk me through that. You had to nominate one player that made X amount of money or something. So I think, like from an NBA standpoint, when there when the Hornets and the Heat came in and whatever else, each team had to protect. I, I think you had to leave like four players unprotected. I think the Pacers unprotected Scott Skiles maybe, and lost him to the Magic. Stuart Gray, I think, was one that they unprotected. Oh, his daughter went to junior high high school with me. Really? Mm-hmm. He was Great. the number one high school player in the country when he came Great out. Great volleyball high player. Um, so, if you, with the Pacers trade deadline, the NBA trade deadline coming on Thursday, with this roster, if the Pacers had to leave, let's say, four players unprotected to say, you know what, if you want to come and, and pick them out of here, make us an offer. What four players would you think the Pacers would be most likely to part with if they had to make a trade. So you just lose them. You don't get like draft picks back for them or anything. Well, like I'm that, using right? the no, I'm using that model. Okay. I got to it. Say, I got it. You know, I mean obviously you'd get something back. But I'm saying the players that Yeah. You know, I I've kept on revolving around these four names. And maybe it's shifted a little bit. Goga Batadze, Chris Duarte, Daniel Tice. 
and I'm torn on this one, but I'll go with TJ McConnell. Okay. I don't like doing that. I think I think when you have a rebuild like this, it's important to have some veteran presence. And I think McConnell's a really, really important guy in that area. But I also can acknowledge that he's your third point guard of the future. So the need for that is an extreme. And if you can get some desperate team that feels like they have to have a backup point guard change for this stretch run, that's where I look at potentially getting him for something of substance. But in particular, Jake... I think there's a, lo- a massive log jam in the front court. A Correct. massive log now, jam. In for the that front reason, court. and I'd have to look up what Daniel Tice is making this year. He he would be partially off that Boston contract, or not yeah. partially, but I think he's under contract for a couple more years, and he makes a notable amount of money. It's not like he's making chump change. So the so maybe Tice maybe the contract is is what makes him movable. But I think what they were really hoping was to see what they had in Tice to figure out whether they want to move him out or if it gives them flexibility to get... Because the two guys that probably do give them some marketability, and I'm not sure what Jalen Smith's trade availability is because of the weird circumstances in which he was signed. He's got one more year left. But Isaiah Jackson is one that probably you could get a little something back for. I think it's too early to bail on him. I don't disagree, but I think a lot of that depends on what they think of Daniel Tice and Jalen Smith. I think what we've seen by Jalen Smith getting relegated to the bench is that they don't think necessarily he's a four, but yet there's a logjam at the five. What do we have in Tice? You know, I think those are all factors or areas that they're looking at. The... Duarte, so if you were ranking them in terms of what you would fetch back, I think Duarte is a piece that you might be able to get some things for him, but not probably a total return of equal value because I think Duarte is now probably seen by teams as, hey, he played really well when they weren't very good. But when they're showing competency, he's... He kind of struggles as an off-the-bench guy. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying mm. news story. And I need all of get you traded? to stop what you're doing and listen. This is like a pat on the back for us, though. Huh? We, have, we have moved up in the mid-market oh, ratings. Really? Yeah. Wow. They just come out? They Gosh, how many out. Pacers fans now, in their cars on. do you think thought, wow, one of these guys <laughs> just got traded? Now, yeah. let's, let me pull up the college. Now, hold on. It, now, where were let we me, before 23? Yeah, well, the, remember, we only had like a month and a half and we cracked the top 25. Okay, I, I'm pulling up now the AP top 25. So we're going to see what college basketball program we are. Gosh, I really yeah. hope we're moving but up, let, But let's do this in, so just so people know, and then we'll get back to our Pacers conversation. Thank you, Mark, for interrupting there. You're yeah, welcome. So, so that folks know, without telling us what it thing. is, let's build this up a little bit. Okay. Every year... There is an outlet that ranks the top 25, and and frankly, until I started this job, I didn't know there were 25. Yeah, there's <laughs> the, 27. The, 20, the top 25 mid-market morning sports radio programs, correct? correct? Yes. Okay. I began doing this show with both of you in November of last year, 
not to say that I, but but in other words, this as a group, we worked together as a trio starting in November, and the list came out in February. And last year, we were where we were like in the low twenties because we had only gotten like a month we were, and a half run. We were twenty two or twenty three, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you don't mind, Mark, by giving us this hint before we then wager our guesses, would you say that we took a? Is it a, a big enough jump that you would tell your mom about it, or is it like, eh, okay? Let's say it's a pretty big jump. Oh, all right. Okay. Are, are we in the teens? We are. We didn't break single digits? Not yet. Jeez, Jake wanted us to beat three top five teams in a week. I'm going to say that we are now 17, which would put us as Providence in the coaches poll. Oh, I like Ed Cooley. And TCU... Jamie Dixon in the AP poll. Oh. Kevin, your guess? But we're in the teens, so 1987, 16, 15, 14, 13. Wow. Um, Jake said 17. Mm-hmm. I'll go one higher. Are, are we 16? That would be Gonzaga in both polls. That would be nice for the Are we resume. going the wrong direction? No. Oh. Kevin was in the right direction. 15th. 15th? Yep. That puts us as Xavier and St. Mary's, Hallelujah. baby. Randy what, Bennett. What bars are open after the show? Now, we got to celebrate I'd like that. to know this. So what? can you read the little description of what it says about us? Do they know who we are? Uh, it doesn't say. I'm trying to see if there's a description. Very fitting that Randy Bennett would be the one that we That's are right. connected Friend with. That's right. Friend of the though. program. There isn't really a description of it. It's, got a, it's just a list of the top 20. So they've, they've trimmed it a little bit. It's just top 20. Oh, maybe there's only 20 left. Yeah, that's right. Uh, who's, who's in front of us? Wow. I mean, you want me to go through all 14? No, no just like four, 14. Uh, 14th is the opening drive in St. Louis. Yeah, okay. Who's, that, who's, who's on that program? St. Louis, once again, uh, gets us. I don't know. It's just pictures of random dudes. 13th <laughs> is Border Patrol in Kansas City. Oh, okay. What? Uh, oh, boy. This, this, this one stinks. This one stinks. This is 12th is a Packers 97.3 the game. That, Wait a minute. In Green Bay? Green Bay ain't mid-market. Yeah, I was gonna say Green Bay's got like fifty-five thousand people. What are we next? What are we gonna lose to next? Terre Haute. Well, Terre Haute number eleven. No, uh, Terre Haute is number. No, they're not on there. Baltimore is number eleven. It's starting to get a bit humble. Baton Rouge ten. Columbus nine. Baton Rouge. Nah, they got Brian Kelly's family vote. Baton Rouge is not ten. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Baton Rouge doesn't even have Pittsburgh a radio eight, station. Nashville seven. Oklahoma City six. Kansas City five. Buffalo four. The definition Charlotte, of mid market seems a little bit. Wait a minute. Here. We're behind Kansas City's secondary show. Birmingham coming in at number one because you know they got SEC football. To and who about. votes on this? I don't know who votes on this. To be quite honest. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you pissed now. I just updated the LinkedIn. Fifteenth. Green Bay. <laughs> Have you ever been to Green Bay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the NFL teams can't stay in Green Bay because they don't have a hotel big enough. They have to stay in Appleton. Like, literally, you go to Green Bay, and it's like, okay, let's have lunch at Racks. Then we're going to... Uh, Green Bay? Come on. You're saying that you're, you're questioning these rankings? Green Bay ain't mid-market. Questioning the definition of the mid-market rankings. Yeah, I mean, what do we do? What do we, come on, man. Indianapolis is the 11th largest city in the country. Back to the Pacers trade deadline. My high school here. was 10% the population of Green Bay. Jake, I look at the log jam here in the front court, okay? Because literally they seem done with playing guys at the four, like Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, those guys. I mean, it's either Aaron Neesmith or O'Shea Brissett. So if you look at the center position, which is wild. We, we know the center position is certainly not one of the more premium ones in today's league. You've got 
five guys, right? Yeah, five. Miles, Daniel Tice, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. You've got five guys for like one and a half spots. Right there, you have some big investments in those five guys, whether they be first-round picks or contractually. I mean, Daniel Tice is one of your higher-paid guys on the team. Obviously, Turner is going, you know, we assume nowhere. But think about that. Five guys for like one-and-a-half-minute spots, and obviously Turner is going to take a huge bulk of that. Turner's playing 30 of 48 minutes, something like that, every night. That's where I think you got to move somebody. And can you find a team, kind of like Indiana was last year, where Indiana said, oh, Aaron Neesmith, change the scenery. Or they said to Jalen Smith, change the scenery. Can you package together, you know, a Goga and a Duarte, former, you know, top 20 picks, and a team might say, all right, here's a high second, or something like that. I think that's what you got to look into, because there's just a logjam, and they're not playing at all for you here. Green Bay and Metropolitan Area, 158th. 2.1 million people for Indianapolis in the metro area. Green Bay metro area ranked 150. I've been told they define mid-market as everyone outside of top 20 markets. So there you go. That's why Green Bay is included. What are you doing in Green Bay? You got your radio on probably 24-7. In case Aaron Rodgers news comes out, I got to be the first to hear it. No, they're talking Marquette basketball. (laughs) No, they're talking. I just Green don't know Bay what's going on IAPY. with the Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Green Bay just lost the IPY. We'll we take gotta, calls next. We got to fire their next coach. Bring back Dick Bennett. We'll take phone calls. I mean, come on. Um, I think in the trade deadline, let me tell you what I think the Pacers covet. They better cover length and athleticism at the three and the four. Let me tell you what I think the Pacers feel like they have to offer that they're willing to part with. You want to guess, Kevin? Let's hear it. Picks. The Pacers have three first-round picks this year. They feel like, based on their young core, they don't necessarily need They need all three. Correct. Yeah. And so they are willing to parlay those likely into later first-round picks. Well, see, this is what I would do with those picks, Jake, in an ideal world. I totally understand Kevin Pritchard's thinking. We have a lot of young talent. We have, I mean, hell, it's difficult to play everybody right now. I just rattled off some of those names. You have three first-round picks coming up this year. The likelihood of you spending all three of those on rookies, playing all of them, is very difficult. What I would like to see is currently Indiana is, I want to say they're tied for seventh in the lottery rankings. I'd like to see them package the late first rounders and try to move up a little bit more in the lottery by all accounts. And we'll talk to Alex golden because he's a lot more plugged into this than I, when he joins us around nine o'clock, this is a really good draft outside of Victor Webb and Yama. Correct. Very good draft. That's correct. So if you look at last year and you got Benedict Mathern with the sixth pick, well, if you're sitting right now at seventh in the lottery standings, and you have a couple of picks, Boston, Cleveland's late 20s. I think Houston, you have their pick in the early second round. If you could trade one of these two, get another kind of draft pick in that range, now all of a sudden, what if you take two of those late round picks, you package your seventh pick, now you're moving up to maybe five or four, and you're getting a little bit higher in the lottery standings. You spend that pick on, obviously, what you hope is a major piece, and then you do have the opportunity to come back later in the first round and still spend a pick on another rookie. I think you've got room for two rookies. Uh, But I understand 
the line of thinking and that you feel like you have a lot of draft picks. You do have that if you're going to spend them purely on players. I would be looking to package some of them together to trade up further in the lottery. I think you got to move up as high as you can. What do you think the Milwaukee folk think about being behind Green Bay? They can't like that, right? Now, wait a minute. Is This St. Louis group in front of us, is that Randy Carricker? Is that an old rival? That can't be Randy Carricker. Now, DeMarco Farr is pretty cool. Oh, he's a good player. Yeah, he's a fun guy. But Randy Carricker was a nice guy, but he was as boring as the day is long. Oh, boy. Can you imagine what they're saying about us? What do you think it is? Huh? St. Louis Sports Radio. You just described St. Louis. (laughs) Cardinals will be there in September. Should Willie McGee be in the Hall of Fame? We'll take your phone calls next. Also, we want to thank you for making us the best baseball town in America. Ted Drews, we'll talk about that coming up in just a few. I think I would do the blockbuster for OG Ananobi. And then Stan Musial, how big would he have been as a Yankee? Give us a call. (laughs) That's St. Louis Sports Talk Radio in a nutshell. Whereas we're debating... Kentucky Pacers hats. So. <laughs> well, I'm just telling bring you. Bring the heat. We would you a- do the OG Ananobi? I would. It depends on what they want. Uh, three first rounders. Does, do they have to be this year's? I would send them, if I could send them the Boston and the Cleveland first round from this year, as well as a first rounder in, say, two years, then yeah, yes. Yeah, I, I think they want your lottery pick this year. Yeah, then no. Would not. I just think Ananobi's skill set is exactly what you need. Long, versatile defender. I get it. I mean, the Pacers can't guard anybody with Miles Turner. And look at, like, Pacers drafts in the past who they've taken. Like, you take OG Ananobi in a heartbeat for some of the guys that they've drafted previously. They took DJ Leaf over Ananobi. But look at who they've drafted, you know, lately. I mean, they've got on the roster. I mean, Matherin and, and Nimhard alone. Yeah, but Jake, it kind of stops there almost. You look at Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, they all of a sudden are like, are they pieces for you? Those are first-round picks just But again, I go ago. back to, it, it's a total crapshoot. You have to look at who you bypassed to take them, okay? Don't, don't look up the TJ Leaf Ananobi draft. No, I, I get it, but let's say, so what year was Duarte drafted? Uh, he was just two years ago, right? He's been in the league for two years. Him and Isaiah Jackson, same draft class. Okay, so the 2021 NBA draft, let's see here. Because that's, you know, a lot of times people are like, yeah, but like Goga's a good example. I was at the game the other day and some guy's like, who in the world, like Goga, why did they draft this guy? And then I'm like, well, look who was available. And then you look and you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? Okay. Uh, so the year that they took, so when was Duarte selected? Okay, Duarte was 13th. After Duarte. Moses Moody, Corey Kispert, uh, Trey Murphy, Trey Mann, Kai Jones, Jalen Johnson, Keon Johnson, then Isaiah Jackson, Usman Garuba, Josh Christopher, Quentin Grimes, Nishan Highland, Cameron Thomas. Cameron Thomas last night had a good game, by the way. Yeah, 40-something. Jaden Springer, Deshaun Sharp, and Sante Aldama. Hmm. He comes around December twenty fifth, doesn't he? <laughs> that's that's the problem. He he delivers one time a year. Uh, the, the, who does he play for? 
What's that? Who does he play for? They really need to be on the Christmas Day games for him to really be <laughs> He truly plays effective. for Utah. Or maybe, do they load manage him on Christmas Day? <laughs> they do. Well, he's got all the cookies in him, right? I, I just think with the amount of picks, again, OG is probably unrealistic, but I think with the amount of picks you have moving further up into the lottery should be the goal. You just got a log jam right now. Like, it was wild, Jake, the other night to see three first-round picks be coaches' decisions did not play. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And again, I, I understand a little bit of Carlisle's thinking with that. It's not like I was totally just stunned by it, but I think this is the opportunity to where you got to realize, all right, you don't have a lot of free agents. It's not like all these guys are up for con. I think O'Shea Brissett might be really your only somewhat notable free agent this year. Again, Turner obviously is under contract. Buddy Heald's still under contract. Uh that's what I would like to see with his deadline. Some of these kind of ancillary pieces. I wouldn't give up on Isaiah Jackson at all. I think he's still really young, and hell, he barely played at Kentucky, too. You're not you know, bailing on your guy, are you? I really think, I'm a firm believer in this. I think the Pacers have a pretty good core. And I think at this point, it's just about adding pieces to it. I don't think there's anything necessarily they need to... In other words, I think they have... They can organically add to them via the picks. If they want to flip a pick or two to to get somebody or, or try to move up for better picks for next year, I get that. Uh, the one guy that I think is going nowhere is TJ McConnell. Yeah, I, I realize that's a long shot. He, he is an, he is not only an integral piece of the chemistry of that group. Like, I think, you know, the Pacers, there have been trades in the past or moves the Pacers have made in the past where they totally underestimated the temperate of the locker room. I think Larry Bird, as good as he was in some areas, because Larry Bird as a player kind of set the tone in his locker room, he assumed that he had a read on all locker rooms, and I think maybe he misunderstood. Like, when they traded Danny Granger, I I, I, I think there were a lot of players that it kind of crumbled them. People were like, they liked Danny Granger. Um, when they brought in some guys, I think they misunderstood how it would affect people. Andrew Bynum comes to mind. TJ McConnell would be, I think that locker room would... would crumble if he were gone I think he is a cornerstone and I believe the Pacers would like for TJ McConnell to be an employee of the Pacers long after his playing days are over oh that's funny when I did the Thanksgiving buffet thing with him he was telling people he worked in the Pacers marketing department <laughs> well they were like they you know O'Shea Brissett's what six seven yeah so they had a feeling O'Shea played basketball but then when they looked at TJ he's like yeah third year in the marketing department it's been fun that's pretty awesome he looks like a high Maybe school he came up with the Kentucky hats. Maybe so. Joel Erickson going to join us. That's a first-year decision. In about five minutes, uh, Alex Golden at the top of the hour again. Trade deadline, 3 o'clock on Thursday. We'll chat more about that with Alex. And I think it's never too early to touch a little bit on the draft because when you do have three first-round picks and there sounds like there's some real, real high-quality depth to this draft, it's a good thing to start that chatter. Uh, let's hit a morning check down there. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I thought you were going to lead off with our rankings. No, I'm still bitter about 
who's ahead of us. Well, I, you know, I just said to Jeremy here, Rome wasn't built in a day. We're, we're slowly moving on up. Yeah, well. He's got a couple quality wins this Rome past probably week. airs in Green Bay after their top 10 show. Uh, let's start in Bloomington tonight. Indiana and Rutgers. It's a four and a half point favorite for the Hoosiers. We've said all show long. Rutgers has been the nemesis for Indiana over the past few years. Six straight wins for Steve Peichel, Scarlet Knights over Indiana. You've got to go back to Jawan Morgan's 25-point night in 2019 for the last time IU beat Rutgers. Um, if you look at the log jam in the Big Ten right now, you've got Purdue at 11-2, and two, then Rutgers at 8-4, and four, six teams at 7-5. and five. Michigan State is then there at 6-6. Six and six. So, you know, when you look at Big Ten, you know, tournament seeding, things like that, obviously quality wins. Um, quite a log jam right now within the Big Ten. I'm still just completely befuddled by this. Great <laughs> loss for the rest of the show. <laughs> I, I debated bringing that up during the show because yeah. I was like, he's going to completely, right in the middle. completely I sidetrack the rest of the that show. that a Pacers player was getting traded. I was like, this is kind of early in the morning if for only. a trade to be if announced. Only. No, that'll happen at 10.02. Yeah, you're right. Uh, speaking of the Pacers, they're off to Miami today. They take on the Heat tomorrow night. That is a 7.30 tip. Jake, December 23rd, the last time the Pacers won a road game. Really? In Miami, by the way. That game. You know who was uh, set out that game? That Santee fella. Well, he's a busy man <laughs> he around was, that time. That's right. Uh, these teams have split two meetings this year. It was an ugly one at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The Pacers actually lost that one, and really kind of one of their moments of the year down in Miami. Tyrese Halliburton had twenty, or excuse me, had forty three in that win. That was just after they'd beat Boston in Boston. Um, and again, it's wild to think that is the last time the Pacers won a road game. Uh, college basketball top twenty five. Green Bay coming in at number twelve. That's a shocker. I'm just kidding. Uh, number one team in the land is Purdue. Despite losing to Indiana, I guess that says a little bit about both teams. Purdue still the number one team in the country at 22-2. and two. Just ahead of Houston, Alabama, Arizona, and Tennessee. The rest of the top ten, Texas, UCLA, Kansas, Virginia, and Marquette. Indiana checking in at number 18 in the coaches poll. They're also 18th in the AP poll. Uh, other Big Ten schools in the rankings, they would be. Are you ready? Rutgers Kevin? is ranked, right? Rutgers is 24th in the AP poll. They are not ranked. They are receiving votes in the coaches' poll. What do the coaches have against Rutgers? Well, I think if Mike Woodson was voting, he'd be voting them in the polls, right? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Rutgers is the State University of New Jersey. I believe that New Jersey is the only state that does not have a state university named specifically for the state itself. Really? It's because they right. want people to go there. I thought was there that? was like a random... Ah, oh, it's in New Jersey! <laughs> I always felt that way about Purdue a little bit. Like, aren't there people just, like, around the country that have no idea that Purdue's in the state of Indiana? Where do you think most people think Purdue is? Or Notre Dame, for that matter. Yeah. Notre Dame, I think most people think is in Michigan. Give me a school that, like, you you always forget exactly where it is. The Citadel. That's in South Carolina. They play Clemson. I know that. I mean, it took me a while to, you know, younger me with Gonzaga. Yeah. I think a lot of people, like, until they got really California. good at Baylor. How about Rice? Yeah. Uh, IU women up to number two, is that right? That is correct. Number two for Terry Moore. Second in the land. Incredible uh, job she has done down there. They have got a huge one Thursday night. Iowa, for those that have not seen Caitlin Clark play for Iowa, she is a special, special talent. I believe they're ranked fifth. So, huge matchup in Assembly Hall uh, coming up on Thursday night. Again, tonight it'll be a 6.30 tip with Indiana 
and Rutgers. And again, Butler, slight favorite tonight, right? And you like Butler? Butler, guaranteed win. Slight favorite over St. John's. Way, somebody asked me this. Does the Green Bay Radio morning show service all of northern Wisconsin? Hey, daughter! Yeah, wake up there, daughter! Get the Rhinelander, you know, the bucker out there this morning. I mean, what are they doing over there, right? Joel <laughs> Erickson joins us next year. Uh, next, uh, Aaron Rodgers, the pack, will talk. Packers suck! All right, we're going to get back into the Colts head coaching search conversation. Uh, we're now, I think, a month into it. Play the Chris Ballard audio. His comments about a month ago have certainly held true and not making life too much easier for our next guest. That would be Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star. Joel joins us here. Joel, what would you say the biggest con is in the Colts waiting as long as they are waiting to hire a head coach? Uh, I think you worry about if there's assistance that might get snapped up elsewhere. Um you know, these guys present uh, a range of options. I think, I think, um, you know, I was reading Albert Breer's story about, about Frank Reich telling Carolina he had three or four defensive coordinator options. Well, you can't necessarily say, I'm going to hire this guy. It'd be really hard to know for sure you're going to get somebody unless it's, you know, somebody that is probably your closest friend in the business. And they said, hey, if you ever get something, I'm coming wherever you are. So, you got to have a range of options for what you want to do to, to, to fix, to finish your vision. And, you know, we saw with, with Flores and, and Averro that, that sometimes those guys take jobs. So, um, I don't necessarily know that it's going to hurt them on the defensive side of the ball. Cause it seems like maybe Gus Bradley's in play to stick around. Um, but you, you still want to have, uh, your pick of the litter. Um, offensive coordinator wise, I don't know if it's really hurt him as much as I would have, Oh, there's so many openings, but I don't know if anybody that I've seen go off the board yet is is like a must-get to me. Do, do you get the impression, like in Evero's case and taking the job with Frank Wright in Carolina, that you know he was a second interview guy here? Do you think the Colts are starting to tell candidates no? Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't take the defensive coordinator job if you thought you had a shot at the Colts. Right. So I, I think that I think that at the very least. Um, some agents kind of know where, where things are headed. Now, I'll say this. The lack of reporting on what's headed next means that like that they haven't, they haven't been able to eliminate guys based on that. But yeah, I, Avera, you wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine Avera would take a, a defensive coordinator job in Carolina over a, a potential head coaching shot. That's why I also thought it was interesting that Flores took the, the Vikings job yesterday because he I believe he, he still had a second interview scheduled in Arizona. So you wonder what, what else they know about the Arizona search. I'd like to ask this, Joel. Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. You know, it came out yesterday that the Colts essentially said Gus Bradley is not going to be allowed. They're not going to grant permission for him to talk to other teams about a defensive coordinator position. So in other words, lateral movement. That, to me, didn't seem unusual because I thought, well, yeah, I mean, you're not denying a guy from moving up. You're just simply saying, if you're going to be a D coordinator, it's going to be here because you're under contract. But should we read into that anything at all? Not necessarily because it's, it's, um, it's not as uncommon as it might seem. I read the same thing about Arizona with Vance Joseph. They haven't let Vance Joseph out of his contract yet. Uh, and I believe... 
Avero was still under contract in Denver, and then they just released him a couple days ago, and then he had a job like he had a job very quickly after that. So I, I think that. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. If you feel like you want to have your ducks in a row as a coach, you feel like, hey, you need to let me out of this. It, I think some of what we've seen from around the league is that teams kind of do this. They hang on to guys for a little bit, and then, and then, depending on what the head coach wants, then they make a decision. And there's there's probably enough coordinator jobs out there that I think Gus Bradley's fine if if the new head coach doesn't, you know, wants to go somewhere else. I'm trying to think of the names, Joel, that. Gus Bradley has a direct connection to um, on the candidate list. Raheem Morris, Rich Passaccia, a- anybody else that I'm forgetting? Morris, Passaccia, um, I think I think those are the two. But Gus has been around so long. Gus has been around so long and coached in so many places that I think that you probably have uh, a lot of people who at the very least, know him. Like, uh, the, the thing that, that kind of I always think about with this is, like, last year when the Bears hired Ryan Poles, we found out that him and Matt Eberflus had this, like, had this long-standing relationship going back uh, a long way in the league, even though they hadn't really worked together all that much. And so um, that's, that's one of the things to remember, too, with this, is that even if there isn't a direct connection, sometimes there's a connection that happens just in league circles and guys – talking to each other and learning from each other during the offseason. And obviously if you hire the offensive coaches, you know that might be a pairing that Chris Bauer has thrown out there for them, and they might uh, be a fan of that. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, debate that Jake and I have had for you know a little bit over a week now is this whole the offensive hire or the leader hire. And obviously you would find a happy medium. The trend of the offensive coaches having success in today's NFL speaks for itself. But the leader, that element, I, to me, just means so much to Chris Bowden and Jim Irsay. Hell, it's something Irsay threw out there the night that he uh, hired Jeff Saturday. Where do you think Ballard and Irsay side on that sort of debate? Offensive mind versus leader. Uh, well, just from the from the list of candidates that they put together, you know, if you were if you were really set on the offensive mind, you'd have done what Carolina did. Where that's that's all they brought in, other than Steve Wilkes was offensive coordinators, offensive minds. Carolina is interesting in this discussion because Dave Tepper said at the at Frank Reich's introductory press conference, "We've done the CEO thing, and we know it doesn't work." Referring to Matt Rule, um, but I think I think that the Colts would disagree just based on what Ballard said um, and, and the search. You know, it was basically even between offensive and defensive coordinators. You threw a couple special teams coordinators in there. I, I think that, to me, sort of the idea of the true CEO where he's not doesn't have his hands in the pie in any X's and O's on either side of the ball, that's probably not workable or tenable in the NFL. I, I, I don't think there's really anybody that does that anymore. Um, but, but obviously you can have people who, who delegate and they can – they can influence what's going on without necessarily having to have direct control. Like, you know, we always think of offensive coordinators having play calling, but I know Dennis Allen does the play calling in, in New Orleans for the defense. Um, I think I think it's the, the new CEO role is more of a, maybe I'm not play calling, maybe I'm not coordinating, but they're still influencing that kind of stuff on, the, on both sides of the ball. Joel, do you think Jeff Saturday's still in the upper quartile of upper quartiles of candidates? 
I I think only I think only Jim Mercer knows that. Um, I I can't imagine that after all of these interviews, um, just going through so the, the the resume some of these guys have built, the stuff that they've learned. Like you spend twelve hours with a guy, you're going to find out a lot about what they've learned in the NFL. Like you know, some of these guys have. A lot, of the, a lot of these guys are decade-long lifers who've been doing stuff. I, I find it hard to believe that um, his, his depth of experience or breadth of experience is enough to, to put him over some of these guys. But that, that was true when they made the interim hire, too. So it's like when I start talking about like the possibility of them hiring him and all the ramifications, it sounds impossible to me. But hiring him as interim would have sounded impossible to me. So... Joel, do you know, did Chris Bauer go to the Senior Bowl last week? I don't believe so. I could be wrong on that, but I don't think so. I think he was here doing interviews. You know, another part that I feel like has kind of dragged this along a bit, and again, Ballard's words indicated this would likely be the what's happening, but like Jim Mercer deciding not to take part in much, if any, of the first round, it almost was like the second round was an introduction to Ursay. So you had to be extremely thorough. You wanted to bring in a lot of candidates for that process. You know, maybe if Ursay gets involved in round one, maybe we have this wrapped up by now. Yeah, I think that's possible. One of the other things I keep thinking about the cold search, though, is that at this point, they really haven't, with the exception of D'Amico Ryans, who they wanted to talk to and didn't get. Uh, and that one sounds like... Just from everything he said about Houston, that sounds like a homecoming for him. Sure. Um, so maybe maybe they had a, had a real... Yeah, maybe they had a pretty big disadvantage in that one anyway. Uh, it, I don't know that they've... At least from their candidate pool, they haven't necessarily missed out on anybody that they wanted to have as a second interview. You know, Arizona's bringing back, what, Kafka and Anna Rumo for second interviews? Kafka didn't, as far as we know, didn't make it to the second round here. Um, Sean Payton was never involved here. Obviously, Frank Reich wasn't involved here. So, they, as uh, it is taking, it is taking long. Obviously, you know, Carolina's had a coach for a while now. Same thing with Denver. Um, same thing with Houston. But I don't necessarily know that of the candidate pool that they built. I don't know that it it hurt them in terms of losing anybody because some of the guys that they that have gone elsewhere, they never really had a shot at. Just in terms of Payton um, and, and Ryan's. You know, I let me ask you this, Joel. I'm going to go back to the Saturday question, and I apologize for that. But I, I felt like, and I've asked this before, but I want to circle back to it because I think these things are fluid. When Saturday was named the interim, I truly believe this. I truly believe that Jim Irsay thought that he was going to be seen as an outside-the-box visionary that duped everybody. And I think that he thought that people were going to praise him for that hire and it went absolutely the other way which I think caused him to kind of double down a little bit does he stand by that and is he influenced and continually driven by a second desire to prove everybody wrong or has enough time passed where he says all right I'll move on from it well, I, so I think that there, I think that there, there's a difference between the two, and I think the difference is in the fan base locally. Um, like, I, when they made the interim hire, there was a significant portion of the local fan base that was like, "Hey, screw all those guys saying that this is a bad hire." Um, yeah, that's correct. You know, like this, like 
he, we we can do what we want. We didn't want Frank Reich anymore. We got rid of him. Thank goodness. I don't I don't care who they bring in. I think he's got a shot. And and Joe Thomas and Bill Cowher can go to hell. And uh, that's not that's not where people are anymore. And so I, 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 to me, that would be the big difference is before he was kind of defiantly standing up sort of, it kind of felt like an indie against the world-ish type thing. I mean, not to say that, not to say that there weren't, I, I think there was a significant portion of the Indianapolis media base, me included, that, that weren't, that were very skeptical of the hire from the beginning. But there was sort of an indie against the world thing going on at the beginning that's not really going on now, um, especially with the fan base. Uh, just not being on board with it. So I think that's a pretty big difference is, you know, it's easy to say, it's easy to say, hey, the outsiders are all wrong. It's a lot harder to say, hey, my fan base is all wrong and I want to make them mad. Kenny's Joel Erickson from the Star does an outstanding job covering the Colts alongside Nate Atkins. Um, Joel, I saw Eric Bannamy's comments last night from Super Bowl media night referencing the Colts interview that he had and feels like he's still involved there. Did you see anything Shane Steichen related on comments he had? Uh, I missed. I, I, I haven't seen any. Uh, I actually had kind of set up this morning to see if I could go back and find some Steichen stuff. I, I didn't I didn't see if there was a, a, a good comment from him. The enemy is interesting because so this is the thing I keep telling myself with the enemy and it's hard to uh, it's, it's just sort of a, a possibility that I have to hang out there is Obviously, it wasn't reported that he was in for a second interview, but Ballard has a lot of history with him, and that was also the quietest interview. Right. If if, if people remember of the first that one interviews, it, that one wasn't reported ahead of time. It just at like ten thirty or nine thirty or something like that one night. It was just hey, the Colts just said hey, Eric, we had me interviewed here. Um, so so that one that that's the thing I keep trying to remind myself is is. With all these other guys, it's been a quiet search, but with all these other guys, there's at least been a report or something saying, hey, this person is going to interview. The enemy is the guy that we've had the least on. And so that's one of the things I keep trying to remind myself of with him is we might not have as much information on him because we didn't have as much information on him at the start. Uh, that's Him and Basaccia, I think, were the only ones who just like the Colts just made a tweet and everyone was like, oh wait, this person interviewed. We didn't have any advance notice at all. The later we get into this week with no leaks, does that mean Shane Steichen or Eric Bieniemy to you? It feels like that. It does feel like that because I think if it wasn't one of those two, I feel like you can you could agree to terms. Like you could do what Carolina did. Carolina announced that Reich was getting hired, and then they didn't do the press conference right. until after same thing Denver the did. championship games. Yeah, Denver did the same thing. And so, I think if it's somebody who's if it's somebody who if they decide they're deciding on somebody who's not in the Super Bowl, I think you could probably do the same sort of thing. Um, and not because not because you don't want to have the press conference necessarily, just because like what the NFL wants to do, but. Like, if you're making a head coach hire, don't you want to, like, have all the attention on you as opposed to having stuff going on out in Arizona that people are paying attention? Um, so, I, But I still think you could – I still think it would get out. I think that the, the further it gets, it does feel like it's one of the two offensive coordinators. At this point, it kind of feels to me, Joel, like, you know, other than your staff or some of the coaches you have on staff wanting to know, there's no urgency at this point, right? You've kind of, unless you're going toe-to-toe with Arizona, 
you kind of ridden the wave, right? Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I mean, as from what we, and from from what we know about the Arizona search, uh, there's no conflict there. So you can you can do what you want. I mean, Frank Reich put together a pretty good staff, a, a very good staff, considering that two of them are head coaches and Jonathan Gannon's, you know, being talked about as a potential head coach. He put together a very good staff, and he was hired well after the Super Bowl last time. So. There, there's there's a reminder here that as much as you want resolution, as much as I think Colts fans want to know who the head coach is, you can still put together a good initial staff uh, without having to without having to have the hire done now. I think that's probably why Ballard. It's funny with Ballard because a lot of times this happens with draft weekend, but it's happening with this coaching search. Ballard says something like, "This might take till mid February," and everyone's like, "We kind of forget about it." just in the way we cover it, and then it turns out that it ends up going exactly the way he said it would. Um, and that, that I've been kind of reminding myself that the last couple of days, too. Is Ballard, like KB said, Ballard told us, I don't care if it takes till mid-February to hire the right guy. I want the right guy. Joel, if you had to guess, is there the chance that your Valentine's Day, which is one week from today, is interrupted because of the fact that there is news regarding the Colts coaching search? Yeah, I think there's a chance. <laughs> I think I think there's probably a pretty good chance at this point, um, because as much as as much as we say like you can wait and wait and wait, uh, a combine. I saw this in Albert Breer's column the other day, and it, it just threw me for a loop. The combine's only three weeks away. Yeah, oh, and the yeah. combine is where you start setting. That's where you start setting the roster stuff. It's not just about the draft stuff. That's where you're meeting with. You know, that's where you're getting in touch with teams and stuff and agents about what's going on. Yeah, free Once agency. Free agency starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, at some point a decision is going to be made here in the next couple of weeks because a decision has to be made. Like, they have to have a direction to go with, uh, and the head coach has to be a part of that. I think Ballard would say the same thing. So we're, we're going to have a decision here, and if the decision has been made or is about to be made, and, like I said, even if they announce agreed to terms, I think that there's a chance that Valentine's Day a week from today is, is still in jeopardy just because that might be when the press conference is. Yeah, certainly. Free agency is huge during the combine, and you just need to get your staff in place before that week. All right, Joel, um, what type of spread are we looking at at the Erickson household for the Super Bowl, and we need a Super Bowl pick? Uh, I'm going to go Eagles Super Bowl pick. I hope you're not uh, getting pulled that, over, by the way. I'm not. I'm not oh. getting pulled over. I'm I'm in the car. Uh, there's, a, there's a fire... Uh, department that's not very far from my house so we get we get a lot of these got it um, hope everybody's okay uh and uh and then as far as the spread um i might be going to a friend's house for the super bowl I haven't decided yet the thing i've been eating this playoff show is like a homemade shrimp ceviche Whoa. real easy you just tell you're us just more stuff up or, yeah you just, it's just shrimp and uh, avocado and pico little cilantro my wife likes to throw like a little bit of a baby cucumber in there for some crunch, and then garlic powder, and then a whole bunch of lime juice, and just kind of mix that up and make your own ceviche at home. Man, gosh, wow. okay, dude, that's a middle finger to pigs in the blanket right there. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> man, Joel Erickson not messing around whatsoever there with that spread. And you said the Eagles. Yeah, I, Eagles. Eagles because of the defensive depth and talent. That's that's what I'm banking on. Yeah, just 
up front and in the secondary. Their D-line talent and their depth there just speaks for itself. Uh, Joel, great stuff. I know this has probably been a bit of a taxing process, so appreciate you entertaining uh, some of these questions. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, guys. Joel A. Erickson right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. I don't think we're going to be going with that spread. Get a nice little taco dip going. Little pigs in the blanket. I haven't been to a Super Bowl party. Buff chick dip. When I worked in St. Louis, I covered the Rams, and then the year after they went to the Super Bowl, it was the, gosh, the most forgettable Super Bowl ever. It was like Ravens-Giants. Hmm. Trent Dilfer, Ravens. Uh I went to a Super Bowl party in St. Louis. Um, It was more like a get-together. I really didn't know many people in St. Louis. And I think that's the only Super Bowl party I've ever been to. Hmm. Other than like in middle school, we went to Marshall Gephardt's house to watch the 85 Bears. We do have some um, good news Colts draft related that we'll touch on before the end of the show. And again, Alex Golden to talk Pacers trade deadline coming up in about 5 or 10. I wanted to be sedated yesterday. Good and Lord. And you heard the uh, rankings ahead of our 15th ranking. <laughs> I'm telling you that to lose out to the Green Bay guys, oh, I'm I'm livid about that. Uh, let's go to Randy. Caught a wallander yesterday, uh, Randy. They what was have... you using for bait there with the walleye? They got better re- reentries than us, Mark. Is that what is that what we think? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe too much Packers suck. <laughs> That's it. Maybe not enough. Uh, good news on the Colts draft front here. Um, the Conditional pick that they were getting from Buffalo for Naheem Hines uh, was either going to be a fifth or a sixth. It ended up being a fifth. I was a little surprised by that. How did they determine that? I thought it was based off playing time. You okay. know, think about the conditions with Carson Wentz. I didn't think Hines played that much with Buffalo. Maybe couple, when he takes two kick returns. returns to the house, all of a sudden he gets it. So. I was really hoping there the Colts will use that to take a badger. So the Colts have the fourth pick, the 36th, and then in round three, they get Washington's pick. That's 80th. Their pick uh, has been traded a couple times. Uh, That was for Nick Cross, the rookie out of Maryland they drafted last year. They have their own pick in the fourth and the fifth, and then they'll get Buffalo's extra fifth rounder. Those guys in Indy do a little more hunting than uh, Bucky talk. They might find themselves in the top ten next year. That's the now you're going into like Chicago accent. Well, I think you're almost Minnesota, Canada with that. No, nah, that's Wisconsin. Alex Whoa. Golden, talk Pacers trade. That's yeah, more UP, probably, right? Yep. Coming up next. You know what I was just thinking about, Kevin? Literally just thinking about. We 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 joke about these rankings, right? And uh-huh. I hope people you are fired up. You yeah, sound like, there's no joking coming from your end. You sound like Jim Beheim on Selection Sunday. No, we joke about it, but here's the thing. It is a very surreal, admittedly, like realization when you see people that you know going to work every day, and if they're driving places or if they're in an office or whatever it might be, that are kind enough to make us part of their morning. And to the three of us, you know, I can't speak for you two, but, you know, like, it ain't like I really like you guys that much. I just come in and we do this and then we go home, right? Right. Coworker, not friend. (laughs) That's right. Coworker. And so, but but all kidding aside, to think that, that 
there are people that can find any way, shape, or form that we actually accentuate their morning experience is truly a very surreal thing. And that's an understatement. I, I don't want honestly. people to think that we take it as anything other than entirely flattering and appreciative because it is exactly that. Check out somebody sent me a note um, in the mail the other day of saying, you know, we're part of his morning routine, taking his daughter to school each morning, just wanted to say thank you. I'm like, I should be the one sending you that totally. note. 100% agree on um, that. So thank you um, for that and to everybody out there. It means a lot. A lot of options, a lot of things going on in the morning. So myself, Jake, Mark, and I really, really thank you for that. Uh, let's head to the Payless Liquors hotline right now. Alex Golden, he's a busy man this week. He's been talking a whole lot about the NBA trade deadline. And I don't know, maybe the Turner news last week has quieted some of the Pacers-related topics. But I think when you have the amount of draft picks, you've got a little cap space, you've got some intriguing vets and rookies on the roster, I still think this could be an interesting 48 hours for Indiana. Alex Golden from Setting the Pace joins us right now. Alex, we're going to give you full autonomy to start things off, all right? You are Kevin Pritchard. It is Thursday at 9 a.m. Ideally, what would you be trying to get done by the 3 o'clock trade deadline? Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely looking to try to see if I can find a forward that can help our team for the present and the future because I desperately need a forward. I, I, I talked to you about this, KB, last week, and I just don't think the four guards with Turner is going to be something that's long-lasting with this Pacers team moving forward. So I would, de- I would definitely look at that, and I would look at what players on the roster need a new home. More than likely, I would try to find a home for Goga Batadze, I would see what my options are for Chris Duarte, even though uh, you just drafted him last year. You do have a log jam, it feels like, at that shooting guard position. And then other than that, I I, I think Daniel Tice is an obvious name you look to try to move as well just because of the log jam there at the center position. But um, I think I'm listening more and taking calls more than I'm actively calling and shopping my players at this point. And if there's a big trade that tries to go down, maybe I try to sneak in there as a third team to – see if I can kind of help facilitate. I do have a little bit of cap space here with about $10.7 million. So there's other ways they can get involved in the trade deadline as well. Is there... Alex, let me, let me throw a alternate side of it with Daniel Tice. Is there any chance that part of the reason why they've got Tice on the floor now is because they want to see what they have in him, not necessarily even to increase his marketability, but to see if he's a guy they can run with if there is a team that finds Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson to be of intrigue that would fetch more back and that Daniel Tice would alleviate that loss in the roster spot in minutes by freeing up one of those two guys? No, I mean, that's that's a good question. I think if they were able to move off of Isaiah or Jalen, I don't really think Jalen's value is super high right now. Um, he's someone they could trade as well. I, I forgot to mention him because I've kind of forgotten about him since he's been on the rotation. But, um, <laughs> you know, Isaiah Jackson's a pretty popular name. I think it would be a mistake to trade him, in my opinion, because I think the upside is there. But Daniel Tyus, you've already kind of seen what he can do. I think he's a solid backup center. So if they were able to fetch something of, of value and you could keep Daniel Tyus as your backup center, that's not the worst idea. But I think at the end of the day, like, Tice was not happy about being traded from Boston, Indiana. You know, going from a championship contender to a team that's, you know, on the fringe of playoffs, you know, more in the play-in scenario. So I'm sure they would like to find him a new home where he can maybe have a chance to be more competitive in the playoffs. And 
have probably a bigger role, but I don't think it's crazy to think that Rick Carlisle is a, is a fan of him and likes what he brings to the table because defensively, that's one area they're trying to improve. And I think out of all the centers on the team, he's got the, the most experience, most playoff experience, and he's probably the the second best defensive center on the roster as well. So I could see why they would look at that as an option if they could maybe make, move off somebody. But long term, I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. It's at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter, setting the pace. A great listen. Um, Alex joins us right now to talk about the Pacers trade deadline three o'clock on Thursday. Jake and I were talking a little bit earlier, Alex. If you look at their you know depth chart, quote unquote, right now, you have five centers for like one and a half spots, and obviously Miles is the one, and the half seems to be going to Daniel Tice right now. So Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, Goga, not getting minutes. What could they get? Let's say they package Goga and Duarte. You know, sometimes we just look at this and they're like, well, we're going to give up our scraps and get something back. What do you think a Goga-Duarte combo could net back? Uh, Unfortunately, probably not a lot right now. Um, Like, are we saying second rounder? Oh, man, it might be like a late first. It just depends on what team really wants them. I know there was a report out there or a rumor out there yesterday that Denver has interest in maybe adding Chris Duarte, which I think that can make some sense. You know, a playoff team trying to add some potential, you know, three-point shooting and defense out there. Um, I think Duarte played his best basketball with Sabonis, so having a guy like Jokic out there could – I mean, if you play with Jokic, everyone's going to benefit. But that kind of offensive style, I think, is more – up his alley, but Goga is viewed as a negative asset right now. I mean, I think if the Pacers could have gotten a second round pick out of Goga already, that that deal would have been done. So he isn't expiring. So he's just kind of a money filler here. To me, it's just like Duarte's value doesn't seem very high either. He is an intriguing prospect, but he is 25 years old, has really struggled with his role. He got his first ever uh, did not play coach's decision on Friday against the Kings, and then he had an ankle injury Sunday. So it uh, looks like he'll be probable to play for Wednesday's game against the Heat. But I just I just don't think his value is super high. But I think if you're really wanting to go out and maybe try to make a play at someone like an Ananobi, who's been rumored a lot, maybe a John Collins, then maybe you can find a package there. I think, I think a Duarte go-go with something and maybe a pick is more the avenue to go after a John Collins. But uh, it's going to take quite a bit. I think to get OG Ananobi, a player like that, with so many other teams having interest and just having a little bit more in terms of players uh, that the, the Raptors might like to go out and get. Because I just don't think the Pacers are super keen on trading a lot of their key players right now. But I don't know if I would consider Duarte a key player for them moving forward. Let me give you my um, kind of assessment of Duarte, and you tell me if you agree with it. Obviously, a gifted guy that is probably a 6 or a 7 in multiple categories. He's not a 9 or a 10 in any one area, but he's pretty versatile. But considering the success he had a year ago versus his lack of footing this year, my worry is that teams will see him as a guy that can thrive and play well when he is a focal point of a not very good team but struggles in working his way in an orchestration with a team that has a lot of talent around him where he's asked to be a complimentary, and that will limit his value. Your thoughts? I think there's some truth in that, but I also think that 
we have to realize he's been really thrown into some weird rotations. He's been thrown into a weird role. Last year he was asked probably to do too much, and then he kind of held off there for a little bit, and they, they put him on the bench and brought in Justin Holiday as the fifth starter with that group, and they were just trying to find all these different things, and Carlisle likes to play a lot of different combinations, so I know that it's not always consistently you know, you're going to get these minutes. And then drafting Matherin, obviously Matherin's a more talented player. I really do believe Duarte could have had a better year, but we have to realize, too, dealt with that heel injury uh, that kept him out for last season, like for the last like 15 games, I think it was. Dealt with it during summer league and, and was able to play in FIBA, but then after that he gets that ankle injury and misses five to six weeks. So I think a lot of it has just been not been able to get consistently out there with um, just being healthy because even Carlisle said on Sunday that when he lands a certain way, it, that ankle is still bothering him. So you have to just kind of think maybe he's not fully healthy trying to buy into a new role. I think he's just a young player trying to figure it out, and we've seen a lot of sophomores from this year's class have that sophomore slump. So I think there's teams that are maybe hoping to add him to their roster and not have to pay very much for him, but I don't think he's a guy that can't figure it out because I think at the end of the day, he is a, he is a role player. He's a bench kind of guy, but he's he's not a guy that's really going to move the needle for you in terms of that his starter, that kind of player. But I do think that there is talent there. Definitely belongs in an NBA roster. I just feel like maybe a team that could utilize what he does better than what the Pacers do might benefit him moving forward. Can Alex Goldens with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline? Uh, setting the pace, Pacers podcast, really good listen, and uh, at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Alex, what do you think they should be doing with Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith? Well, I think the problem is they started off so well, and and they got a lot of wins in you know November, December, that they kind of to me overlooked the developmental part of things and started focusing more on winning. And this whole season was about developmental. So they kind of had to change gears a little bit in the middle of the season. And now it's like Jalen Smith, he's not shooting the basketball well. They put him in the starting five, kind of put him in that Miles Turner role that Miles was playing with Domas, and he really struggled. And so then they started uh, realizing teams were putting their their centers on him and putting their forwards on, on Miles. And kind of keeping Miles from doing what he does, and that's attack centers that can't stretch the floor as well as he can, and maybe guys he can take off the dribble. So that's why they went to the four-guard lineup, because it just wasn't working for them. So I think with Isaiah Jackson, though, this is a guy that, yes, he's primarily a center. He can't shoot the basketball. I mean, he's he's shown a, a little bit where he's been able to hit like a 15-footer. I would like to see them experiment more with him at the foursome. I, I know that they're wanting to play uh, Miles a lot of the five, Maybe just play them two or three minutes a game together on the court and see what that looks like defensively because defensively they need to improve. So I just feel overall they need to find a way to get them some minutes. And maybe if they trade Daniel Tice by the deadline, then there shouldn't be a problem there with going back and forth, giving them those backup minutes, just getting them reps and getting them a chance to improve their game. But if Tice is still on the roster and they continue to play Tice over Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, if they're both on the roster as well, I think that is a big mistake because the future is not Daniel Tice. I think the future with those two especially is Isaiah Jackson. And then Jalen Smith, he still has value, but it's just kind of crazy to think that at the beginning of the offseason, 
They signed him to this deal, named him the starter at his press conference, and now he's basically in the same role he was in Phoenix. So it, it doesn't look good for how things have gone for him, and it's on him mostly, not on the coaching staff. But I do think that the shift from development to winning has really impacted their role, and I think they just need to continue to not lose sight of the big picture and give those guys the minutes they need to get better. Is Aaron Neesmith a long-term starter for Indiana, or is that by necessity that he's getting that role right now? I think it's by necessity, and I don't mean to discredit Aaron Neesmith. He's a very streaky player. You'll see stretches where he's lights out and stretches where he's very inconsistent. I think his energy is something that would be beneficial coming off the bench. Um, we saw him off the bench this year, and he didn't play particularly well, but he was really shooting poorly at the beginning of the season. So I think playing him at the four is not something that's going to be reliable moving forward. You've got Tyrese, you know, Matherin's the future there at the two guard, and then you got Miles at the center. He could potentially play the three, but I, I still think that if Buddy Hill's in this roster, he should be getting those minutes over Neesmith, and they really need to find that power forward. I think Neesmith has been the best option for sure this year, but don't believe it's a long-term fit there with him as a, as a starter. I think he's more of a sixth, seventh man for the Pacers. And I think deep down they think that as well. Like, I mean, they wanted yeah. Jalen Smith to be the four to start this year. I kind of look at Neesmith, this might be a bad analogy, as kind of like that third down shifty running back. You know, change of pace guy, mm-hmm. comes off the bench and provides a little bit of a spark. I think in an ideal world, that's what you would have. I, he has shown me, I, I think, some nice moments. I think you certainly got to fine-tune some things. But I think him and uh, Andrew Nemhard coming off the bench, that is the ideal scenario moving forward. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think I think Nemhard, you know, he's really done a good job as a starter. Um, those two have been your best perimeter defenders this season. So that's why they're starting, because the defense has been so bad. Um, and, and they've really been able to take on those challenges, and they don't need the ball offensively as much. They're more beneficiaries of what Tyrese and Buddy and Miles are doing. So, you know, I, I think that it's it's interesting because a lot of people are excited for what Nimhard could do with that second unit next year, maybe if he's given the keys to that second unit to kind of run it. But at the same time, we've heard Carlisle talk a lot about how much he likes having two ball handlers out there. So, it wouldn't surprise me if they keep him in the starting lineup next year. Uh, I think a lot of it just depends on what happens with Buddy Heald, if he's still a part of this roster long-term, and, and what kind of decisions they make in terms of trades and the draft, because there could be some, some players in the draft they, they want to see in that starting lineup if they go with a power forward type player. But based on how things went this year, you might see uh, you might see a rookie that, that's drafted in like the top 10 coming off the bench again, just trying to get their feet wet and like, maybe kind of earn the respect of uh, of Carlisle before he trusts him completely. I, I'm glad you brought up the the draft. Again, Alex Golden is with us, uh, setting the pace as the podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at AlexGoldenNBA. Um, you know, right now you've got three first-round picks, Boston, Cleveland's, which by in all likelihood they're going to be somewhere in the 20s. Obviously you have your pick, which if you look at the lottery standings right now, the Pacers are tied for seventh in the lottery, really close to sixth. So it's not that far off. From last season, I'm good with keeping the picks, but like I don't want to see all three spent on rookies. I think Kevin Pritchard would agree with that. I, I think you want to trade up higher into the lottery. If we were to say the Pacers are projected in that six-ish range, 
Give us some names. I know there's a couple, Brandon Miller, um, Amen Thompson. Those are the two that I've kind of liked in that wing four role that I'm intrigued by. Give us some names that you would want to keep an eye on in that range. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cam Whitmore is a name that was up there at the beginning of the year, and he's kind of fallen down a little bit. And he's Um, a Villanova kid. Villanova, yeah, from Villanova. One kid to keep an eye on, too, is uh, from Houston. Jarris Walker, uh, number 25 for the Houston Cougars. He's been playing lights out, especially over like the last 10 games. I mean, he's putting up some really good numbers. He's about a six foot eight, six foot nine power forward type of player that I think would really fit well with this Pacers team. A lot of mock drafts and big boards I've seen have him in that six to eight range. I've even seen some people have him in their top five right now based on how he's improved. So he's someone that I really think I'd be intrigued by if I'm the Pacers. And, you know, everybody's excited about those top, like, six, seven, eight type of picks. But I still think there's some really interesting players that could be had maybe in the later lottery, maybe in the 15 to 20 range. Uh, a name to keep an eye on is from uh, uh, South Carolina, Gigi Jackson. Uh, Jawan Howard's son, Jed Howard, is another big name that's kind of popped up in Michigan. Probably more people aren't familiar with him being in the Big Ten. And then another guy in the Big Ten, uh, Keegan Murray's brother, Chris Murray. He's having a really good season as well. I think those are all guys you can get in that 10 to 20 range. And that's where those extra picks, like you mentioned, uh, KB, could be really beneficial for the Pacers because they could trade up and try to take two swings maybe uh, and their, with their pick and then packaging those picks to get back up into like the 12 to 15 range to maybe go after someone like that. And I think even someone that's not necessarily maybe like more power forward like is, is Grady Dick um, out of Kansas. I think he's an interesting player as well that could be uh, a lights out guy i think he kind of fits that carlisle mold so you know there's a there's a lot of interesting talent in this roster in this draft i mean so i think the pacers would be smart not to overthink this and and trade any of their future picks for this season uh and just kind of see what they can do in the draft man grady dick is going to be right there around theoretically if they hold on to it where indiana's going to be picking right i mean i would think that he is a probably 6 to 12 somewhere in there right i mean yeah. he, he can do a lot of things he's very athletic he is shoot he can shoot yeah he's he's a pretty intriguing guy yeah kansas kid indiana yeah. fans will remember him I think, yeah he had a pretty big game if i'm not mistaken against indiana earlier this year i'll uh i'll go scout him when i'm out there oh yeah you're going out there in a couple weeks oh, yeah. aren't you february 25th it's West Virginia. Um, Alex, if you had to guess, over under one and a half Pacers get moved by three o'clock on Thursday. I will, I'll go over. I say at least two get moved. Interesting. Give me the two right now. Top of your head. Oh, you got to write them down. If you're exactly uh, right. You get a million bucks. All right, boring, but go get entice. Okay, Jake, you'd go under two centers. You'd go under one and a half. Are we? Uh, let me ask you this: Are we determining if are we considering a pick a player? I thought you were going to say, are you considering Gogo a full player? <laughs> I thought you were going to call Gogo. Half. I, I think um, uh, just players. Let's let, let's stick with that. One and a half players move by Thursday under. at three o'clock. But under. you but you think a pick? I think they could unload some picks. Interesting. I'll be really curious to see that sort of if they go that route. What that exactly? looks like um alex great stuff man really appreciate the time i know it's a busy week for you and uh, i'm sure you guys will have us covered over at uh setting the pace as well yeah absolutely just real quick one to say we had andrew nimhart on the podcast yesterday so check that out if you haven't 
and we got Bob Kravitz coming on tonight to talk about what happened in Memphis and just talk about the deadline. So uh, appreciate you guys having me on as always and look forward to the next time. Quite the fall from Nemhard to Kravitz, but totally understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, no, no doubt about it. No offense to Bob, but yeah, you know, right. Good goaltender though, <laughs> if you need that. Uh, thank you, Alex. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's Alex Golden right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know, you mentioned goaltending uh, yesterday. We had on the pop quiz. I can't remember the gentleman's name who was a fan of the Seattle Kraken. Uh huh. Yeah. Is it, is it Kraken or Crocken? It's Kraken, right? Kraken. Kraken. Yep. It's definitely not Crocken. Now, Mark, you are a Blackhawks fan, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a one to ten scale, your level of Blackhawk fandom is what? Uh, probably uh, six. Okay. Uh, I have always said that I've. The, the Calgary Flames and then the New York Islanders are the two teams that I've always kind of liked in hockey. Kevin, you don't have a team, do you? You know, I was just based off the movie, obviously a, a Mighty Ducks fan, Ducks fan, back in the day. Um, the other thing that I really enjoyed was I had one of those, boy, I don't even know what you would put in it, just kind of like an old school St. Louis Blues mug. When did the Blues win it all, Jake? Two years ago. Oh no! I mean, I'm thinking when I was younger. Didn't they make Never. a deep run? Did they? Never. Did, they the first the the first year that the Blues were in existence, they went to, I believe, the Cup Finals the first two years, but they okay, never maybe won. That's it. what I'm thinking. Yeah. So I've got some family in St. Louis, and so they got me one of those. I mean, the Blues are cool. That's a cool franchise. And it was. Um, I would say the St. Louis Blues are the Minnesota the Vikings of the NA, of the NHL, and but they finally won it. Yeah, it just sat on my. Um, Kind of like on my, toy, I had toy boxes in my room. We just sat on that. Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. So yeah, Blues or Ducks. Nineteen sixty-seven. By the way, they went. They entered. I felt in like nineteen sixty-seven. Gosh, I would have been. How old would I have been? Turn of the century. Like, did they make a run? I, I, I don't know. They've always been good. That's what I'm telling you. They had a, they had a stretch there of I believe the longest consecutive streak of making the playoffs. They were always in the playoffs. I wouldn't think Kravitz is a goalie. I think Kravitz would be a you know dangerous. Have in I the told open you my ice. sumo wrestler theory on this? Yes. You yeah, have. putting a sumo uh, wrestler. It, in it's there. brilliant. Mm-hmm. Why have they not done this? Uh, minor league teams, I think, have done it as a, and that's the thing. They're, the they're, skates you know, probably can't support the weight. They don't. You don't even need to put them on skates. Well, I'm sure you do. I'm sure there's NHL what do you want regulations. Crocs? Yeah, you just have them sit down. I mean, they've got to have some mobility, but they do. They do that whole, like, bonk, bonk, back and forth to each other, and then they... What was that sound? Bonk, bonk, you know, like, bonk, bonk, like with their legs. They, you know, they, they, they're they just big fat guys that they put their hands on their knees, and then they do the whole... And then they, they, they push the other one out of the ring. I mean, there's got to be some mobility there, right? Now, Mark, we dropped the ball on this yesterday. We've got Ball State tickets to give away. We do have Ball State tickets. Uh, their game against two? And when? They are taking on Bowling Green this Saturday. Ball State starting to win. I think they've won three in a row, if I'm not mistaken. I think they got a game tonight. Uh, 16 and 7 Central on the Central Michigan year. tonight. 7 and 3 in the conference. So They're Central at Michigan Central tonight. Michigan. They're at Central Michigan tonight. And then home to Bowling Green, and that is this Saturday, Mark? Correct. We got yep. a time? Uh, I can look it up. We're giving away a pair of tickets to go see Michael Lewis and a lot of Indiana flavor on that Ball State Cardinal it's a roster. Two o'clock tip. Two o'clock tip so from more than on Saturday. Great arena. arena. Um, so yeah, give us a call for the pop quiz three one seven two three nine ten seventy. I think it's a doable pop quiz. Really? I do. Very. Okay. Very. 
It might be the easiest pop quiz I've ever seen. Really? Wow. That's kind of That's saying something there. Yep. Uh-huh. Easiest pop quiz in the history of Scotty. Scotty's going to slash your Jake, tires. no clue. No hints. Really? I trust the intellect of our I don't listeners. even see the pop quiz. Has he sent it yet? And you wonder why we're we're not higher in the rankings. <laughs> yeah, it's the preparation that's really somehow these go into my deleted and I didn't failing to anything. prepare is what? What's the sign say? Failing to prepare is preparing, preparing to fail. To fail. Mm-hmm. That's right. That it's not about the will. It's not about the will to win. It's about the will to prepare. To iron. Win. We need high school football iron. coaches. To come you know every you know every coaching quote up. now is attributed to either Bob Knight or Vince Lombardi. You know that right? I thought John Wooden in the pyramid. John Wooden also, yeah, a lot. Uh, all right, so the pop quiz coming up in a few. Again, the easiest in the history of the pop quiz. Uh, morning checkdown time. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. He who prepares and studies shall win an oil change. That from Mahatmas Gandhi, 1936. I thought that was a sumo wrestler quote. <laughs> I saw that too. Uh, pop quiz. AP top twenty-five college basketball, not pop quiz, rather uh, check down. Purdue is the number one team in the land, despite losing to Indiana. The Boilermakers still number one in both the coaches and AP poll. Top five, the same for the most part in both Purdue, Houston, Alabama, and Arizona. The only change: Tennessee is number five in the coaches poll. It is Texas number. That's not right. Oh yeah, Texas is number five in the AP poll. They, those two are flopped five and six. Thank you. Indiana eighteen in both rankings. We just dropped a sixteen in the rankings. <laughs> St. Louis is widening the gap right Portland now. Portland just okay. jumped us uh, tonight, six thirty from Assembly Hall. It is Indiana against the Nemesis. That is the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Steve Peichel's absolutely owned IU, particularly here as of late. Six in a row, four of those by at least nine points. You've got to go back to twenty nineteen for the last time IU beat Rutgers. You surprised at all? Indiana favored by four and a half. No, because they're playing really well. I, I know that you go historically, or at least recent history, but Indiana is playing really well. What about the first matchup? Too many variables? No, Jalen Hutchifino in that yeah, game. Hood Xavier Shafino Johnson is, did play in that game. Hutchifino is a difference, I, I think. But he's got to be on, right? It's got to be good, Jalen. 63-48 from the rack back in December. Trace Jackson Davis in foul trouble. IU couldn't throw it in the ocean. Rutgers just threw it up against the glass, got every offensive rebound, and again, Xavier Johnson really struggled. So um, I think this is not necessarily a trap game. I think the fact that Rutgers is on the schedule gets your immediate attention if you're an IU player. I mean, Jake, the only IU player that's beaten Rutgers is Race Thompson. Or hell, maybe Miller Cop did it at Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That, just before he got Ivy the dog, right? Right. That's got to get your attention. Up next in St. Louis Morning Talk Radio, your memories of the Arch and Dan Dinkinger. Why his call on George Orta is just now something we're getting over. Favorite Mark Bolger moments coming up in 15. <laughs> that's, I'm telling you, that's what I they're doing like over Bulger. there. And those guys came in like four spots ahead of us. Ridiculous. Last night in the association, Celtics 111.99. We just did talk St. Louis Blues for about 90 seconds there. <laughs> that, that is true. Cleveland over the Wizards, 114-91. The Clippers, Bulls, Kings, Mavericks, Warriors, and Bucks all getting wins last Last night, Sacramento, by the way, 140-120 over Houston. Keegan Murray, the rookie, with 30 for Sacramento. I agree with Alex Golden. I would take a Murray. I'd just bet on the Murray to be be a good player. Um, Lastly, Pacers off to Miami. Today, they play 
uh, in Miami, of course, against the Heat coming up at 7.30 tomorrow Most night. Most of the crowd arrives at 8.15. <laughs> Those two teams have split the first two meetings. Tyrese Halliburton mentioned yesterday after practice that little elbow wrap he's been wearing will be, or brace probably is the better term for it. That will be off, so we'll see if that will lead to a little bit more shooting success. Halliburton struggled a little bit scoring-wise the last couple of Games, But when we come back, it is time for the pop quiz. Phone lines have lit up. Scotty, I, am I wrong? I think it's the easiest you've ever produced. Yeah, I wouldn't put it in my top ten. Okay, Scotty begs to differ. He would not put it in his top ten easiest. <laughs> okay. Jake, have you found it? What's that? Have you found the pop quiz? Yes, I, I do have it, yes. And do you agree? Uh, the, the school that my sister attended oh, is no one hints. of the correct answers. I said answers. no hints. That does, there are many choices. To, there's no Thank way you, that Mark. anybody listening to this program knows where my sisters went to college. Uh, line six says Karen Q. <laughs> <laughs> my mom doesn't remember where my sisters went to college. I'm kidding. Pop quiz is next. Okay, so the pop quiz, I, I would agree, is fairly manageable. Fairly I think it's manageable. flat out easy. Okay. I don't know if I'd go E. Yeah, it's pretty doable. No hints, though. Okay. Uh, Mark, a pair of tickets to Ball State and Bowling Green? Yep, this Saturday at 2 o'clock. Worthen Arena, we're giving that away all week long for those that call into the pop quiz. Um, All right, the number one through eight, Jake. Bowling Green is the most um, bad luck injury-stricken college basketball program in the last 30 years, right? The Falcons? Yeah, I think that's right. Is that heard correct? that before. Uh, I'll go with number three. Number three. So we try to keep Jake in order here. <laughs> Would be who? Scott. Scott. Oh, Scott taking Scotty's pop quiz. How about that? Scott, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Scott, did you call in because you're a Ball State fan? You're bored? You heard it was easy or some other reason? I listen to the show every uh, every Tuesday. I have a chance to call in, so I thought I'd give it a shot, and here we are. Now, Scott, yeah. is this your first venture on the air with us? Tuesdays with Kevin? Uh, no, uh, yeah, no, this uh, second. Okay, and you said you listen to the show uh, every morning. Do you enjoy the program? What sort of constructive criticism would you offer to us? Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, more IndyCar stuff. Maybe that's just more seasonal. Maybe more. Uh, I don't know. I went to UND, so I like the local local sports a little bit more often. Okay, hey, twenty six days away, right, Jake? That's right. Uh, Car Pete. Scott, you um, you went to high school where? Uh, Huntington North. Okay, hmm. Huntington North. And were you there when? Didn't Sean Klein go to Huntington North? Yeah, I, he was. Uh, I was there. Uh, he was a sophomore. I was a senior. Okay. Fair you seen UND play basketball this year? Paul Casaro's got a pretty good bunch. I honestly haven't been down there for basketball, not yet. But I always pay attention. So UND's last good. loss in basketball over two months ago. Did you enjoy UND, Scott, when you were a student? I absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Almost sounded like too much, huh? Do you know the name John Almost. Dury at all? Played football there? Uh, what, you said John Murray? Dury, D-U-R-Y. Oh, Dury. Uh, I think he was just after me. Okay. Okay. Uh, here we go, Scott. Would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Uh, I think last time I called, it was Kevin, so let's do it to Jake this time. Okay, here we go, Scott, with question number one. Purdue is still ranked number one and maintains a solid lead 
in the Big Ten despite Saturday's loss to Indiana. Who currently at eight and four sits second in the Big Ten in front of a bunch of teams at seven and five? Rutgers. Wow! Like you I opened s- the show with that. Scott, man. Scott, not messing around. All right, number two, Scott, name the Indiana men's D1 college basketball team that's currently winless in conference play this season. Is it A, IUPUI, B, Notre Dame, C, Valpo, or D, Evansville? Why the long pause on B right there, Kev? That's disgusting, Scott, to even put that as a potential answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think it's Uwe Pui. IUPUI. Hey. Oh. Question number three. Oh. Which NBA team was sold on Monday? The Portland Trailblazers, the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz, or the Houston Rockets? Phoenix Suns. Hi, number four, Scott. On this day in 2010, the Colts lost to the Saints in Super Bowl 44. Who was the leader? In receiving yards in Super Bowl 44, was it A, Dallas Clark, B, Marquez Colston, C, Pierre Garcon, or D, Devery Henderson? Uh, Colston. Boy, Reggie Wayne was really quiet in that game. Would have been nice if Pierre Garcon had had about 25 yards more, right? Or if Tracy Porter wouldn't have had him. Okay, last question for you. Question number five. 25 years ago today, the 18th Winter Olympic Games opened. Where did the 1998 Winter Olympics take place? Was it in Calgary, Canada? What's that? Nagano. Wow. Boy, tell you what. I love Scott's effort there to start and finish. Scott, what if I told you for question number two, the winless team in Indiana is where my oldest sister, Juge, attended college. And again, your options are IUPUI, Notre Dame, Valparaiso, or Evansville. Ooh, so Crusaders or Aces? So, I would say it might be Evansville. Okay. Four was tough. I mean, when you think about it, they, you know. You don't think necessarily the leading receiver is going to be on the losing team. Um, all right, Scott. Uh, second place in the Big Ten. Yep, you're all over it. Thanks Let's for listening. Go! Uh, question number two. In fact. Rutgers, by the way. 8-4. My sister was a purple ace. The University of Evansville is 0-14 in the MoVal. Are we giving it to him or no? Yeah, he okay, will we'll give he, it to him. He, he yeah! Yeah. Juge and I are mourning about our favorite basketball teams this year. <laughs> two wins for the uh, two of you, right? right? Yep. And does Louisville count as a win? <laughs> That's good Have they point. really won two in the ACC, Scotty? Who would win between Evansville and Louisville? <laughs> I'm trying to think who Draw. the other one was over. Um, all right. Uh, number three, the NBA team sold on Monday. Yes. That Phoenix is Suns. correct. Question number four. With 86 receiving yards, because Nagano Japan was correct for number five. How about that? Question number four, the leading receiver in Super Bowl 44, the guy that had a 44 right in the middle of his chest, Dallas Clark, with 86 yards. You blew it! It's a hell of an effort, though. Georgia Tech in overtime. How can I forget? You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> the rivalry is back on. Oh. Between who? No. Stay on the line, by the way, Scott. Reggie Wayne in that Super Bowl. 
I just got the following text, Kevin. Uh-huh. Hello, I live in Seymour. Season ticket holder for 10 years. If Jeff, Sat- if Jeff Saturday gets job, I will not renew. Love your show. Okay. Hey, honestly, all I care about is he listens. <laughs> that's right. Bob, but no, I think that's a popular opinion. Imagine saying before that Super Bowl that you would go through the game, Reggie Wayne would have the fifth most receiving yards on the Colts. The four players above him in that game, Dallas Clark, 86, of course, Adai at 58, Austin Colley and Pierre Garçon each had 66. I've always said, too, as I've mentioned to you many times before, Kevin, but the audience recycles, so it's worth repeating. The fascination that I have with the fact that late in that game, the team from Indianapolis had their loss taken away when the quarterback from New Orleans was trying to complete a pass to a wide receiver from New Orleans that was intercepted by a cornerback from Indiana, thus allowing the win for a quarterback for Purdue. Look at that. I also thought that was kind of wild, right? That is wild. What do they say about that play? Wayne ran the wrong route. Just timing off. Poor throw. I think Reggie broke early. That would be my guess. And that's not to alleviate or absolve Peyton Manning of blame by any stretch of the imagination. And they were down seven, right? So they still would have needed to punch it in. They needed to score to force overtime. But in somebody who has done two years of radio shows with Reggie Wayne, and I love Reggie Wayne, might have even done three years of radio shows with Reggie Wayne, uh, when that play came up, Reggie Wayne would kind of – he never said either way. He never answered either way. Kind of led me to believe that maybe Reggie Wayne broke early. Or that simply Tracy Porter read it like a book and jumped it, right? If Thomas Morstead, the onside kick at halftime, he's still in the league. Is he really? Yeah. Do you remember where, Scott? I think he's on like a decent team, if I remember correctly. Poor Hank Basket, right? If Pierre Garceau makes that catch, everything we're talking about is probably a moot point. Right. All right, uh, we'll do one final time here, Kevin Corey. Okay, so now I'm. Uh, so yesterday, Mark, you went to a Swinson's, right? Correct. Now, when I was a kid, there was a Swinson's ice cream, and I grew up next to the burger Swanson's. place. No, where was the Swansons? Uh, no, those are my next door neighbors. Oh, okay. Mary Swanson, Swinson's, no, Swinson's was a, a kind of a Ferrell's type. Uh, ice cream and restaurant place at Glendale. It was on the far south side of the mall. You're saying this is spelled how? S W E N S O N S. Now, the Swinsons that I'm Swinsons talking about Swinsons Drive-ins. Dot, you know, the E N and the O N is the difference between like Norwegian mm-hmm. and then like somewhere else in terms of the, the background. Ed Sorensen used to get really mad when people would misspell his last name because he would consistently tell them, no, 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 it's E N, that's Norwegian. You're thinking O N, which is like Dutch. It's like, okay. So I'm Norwegian, not Dutch? Now, here, here it says Swinsons, Swinsons. Yeah, that's right, because you're E N. Um, are these the same thing as what I'd like to know? Are they the same? No, it looks like it is different. But you liked it, right? The O-N. Yeah, it was good. They were telling us like they've been around for 80 years, but it's their first location in Indiana, so it's in Avon, right next to Costco and Raising Cane's. It was quite good. Okay. Right off US 36? Uh-huh. 
We got thirteen thousand options. I think we should pitch our money in and buy the mug and bun. Oh, I'm in. It's for sale. If we have any left over from the PBR party, <laughs> are the Pacers going to get to thirty wins? Hey. Yes, you keep panicking. Yes, they're going to get. I feel there. like Jake. Hey. Jake's hey. starting to panic a little bit more than hey. I. He keeps on bringing up the schedule. Didn't we say five and twenty-two the rest of the way, or five and twenty-seven the rest of the way? Two and twelve in the last fourteen. Don't know what's going to happen in the trade deadline. You know one thing I love about the Super Bowl is the starting time of it. And then I know I sound like an old man saying that. Six thirty. You watch the Super Bowl and you're in bed by ten, ten thirty if you want to be. Halftime's a little long, of course, but by the way, it'll be the the team will call heads. Uh huh. It will be heads. Winning team will defer. Okay. Uh, do you guys see the favorite for MVP? Actually, at, I take it back. It'll money? be tails. They'll call heads. It'll be tails, and the winning team will defer. What's that? I we'll have to jot this down on Friday. That's right. Uh, the what MVP about the Gatorade at- color? Gatorade color is the big one. Uh, well, it'll be the Eagles will have the greenish color, right? God, that sounds horrible. Chiefs. Well, that's the original. Is that a lime saying. flavor? Lime, yeah. No, what were you saying, Kevin? Uh, the MVP favorite. Oh, it's Mahomes or Hurts, right? At even money, it's Jalen Hurts. Kelsey? Travis Kelsey, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Miles Sanders, the top four non-quarterbacks. How about neither of these teams have trailed yet in the playoffs? Really? I mean, this is like... It's been the best... Look, Philly was the best team all year, right? First time since 2017, both one seeds. I mean... This is about as good of a matchup in terms of teams you're realistically going to get in terms of the one seeds, how they're playing in the playoffs. Obviously, Kansas City had some closer moments. but um, And if you look at Arizona Super Bowls, boy, thrillers. 2018, that was, uh, excuse me, 2015, that was Malcolm Butler, the pick of Russell Wilson on the goal line, and then the David Tyree catch was an Arizona Super Bowl. And it's caught by Tyree. You didn't like Mr. Buck's call on that one? Oh, I, it's not awful, but I mean, certainly for a play like that, I think he was as in shock as everybody else. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, to, Ty, that Tyree play, the catch was obviously ridiculous, but I think people were still like stunned over the fact that Manning got out of like nine tackles and threw the ball. With how they whistle sacks down today, he probably would have been whistled for a sack. That's correct. What's the earliest Super Bowl you remember watching? Seven. Scotty says Super Bowl seven. Probably Steelers. Was it Cowboys? Steelers yeah. Cowboys ninety five. That was the Larry Brown game, right? Whatever the Aaron Bailey year was. Yeah, that's ninety five. I think Steelers Rams seventy nine would be my first, which was what year? What Super Bowl number was that, Scotty? Fourteen. Fourteen. So, Scotty, you remember watching the Dolphins? Go undefeated. Are you on the uh, Rihanna Your halftime band? Yes. Mark Dyson certainly is. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I didn't realize she hasn't done a concert in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few years since she's... Yeah, she had a kid, so... Been you out know, there. Got there. an interesting tidbit about that Super Bowl that Scotty is referencing, the Redskins-Dolphins. The Redskins kicker was... Is it Garo Yapremian? Or the Dolphins kicker, I mean. Garo Yapremian. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking it was on the losing team. That had the famous botched play where he tried to throw the ball. That was the Redskins' only highlight of the game, really. 
Uh, a lot of people don't realize he went to Butler. You really? He was at Butler. His brother was a soccer player there. Kicked to the bowl? And so they, well, they asked him to kick. I don't believe he ever actually ended up making the team or playing because he was selected to be the kicker for Butler, but then got an opportunity for a professional contract, so he left. But he did. He was at Butler for like a semester. Sounds like from a um, commercial standpoint, we're going to get a few beer, liquor commercials that are not just Anheuser-Busch. For the first time ever, Anheuser-Busch is allowing other competitors to advertise um, on the Super Bowl. They used to have the exclusive rights with their partnership with the NFL there. I did see one leaked commercial. No crypto, though, this year after gobs of last year. Boy, and then remember the one year, like in 2000, like every ad was for like a dot-com, and everybody's like, what, you know, the sock puppets and all that. Uh, I saw one ad for a a new chip, and it's got Jesse and Walter White from Breaking Mm -hmm. Bad. Was Which I don't understand. Why, why were you paying $7 million for an ad and then putting it out a week early for free? Because we're talking about it on the radio. Yeah, but you're still paying $7 million to air it on TV. I hear I you. It. The, be, the most yeah, effective I'm, Super I Bowl ad I ever saw, and, and it got shredded, but I thought it was the most effective Super Bowl commercial I've ever seen, was the one that was color bars and tone. So you're watching the commercials because everybody's watching for the commercials, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And the color bars come on and the tone, you know, just dee- it wasn't on, fortunately, for all 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden in like automated type, it says, we apologize. As a network, we apologize. But the advertiser who was supposed to run a great commercial here did not use FedEx and we did not receive it in time. If they used FedEx and they said FedEx like six times and I'm like, that's because Super Bowl commercials, people will talk about great commercials, and you know, oh, I love the one where the guy like had the such and such and the little dog, and you're like, what was it for? I can't remember. Well, then it's a terrible commercial. Yeah, I thought they actually did a decent job with the QR codes in recent years, like making you, mm-hmm. you know, go to their website. Obviously, the crypto stuff. Clearly, there's no commercials this year involving them. I thought that was decent, but that I mean, that's that's kind of wild from a history standpoint. Anheuser Busch finally saying. I mean, how iconic are the Clydesdales and all yeah. of that? And now they're finally saying, now, all right. You, you want to know what? I never realized that they had exclusivity. Yeah. That was part of I their never partnership. Knew never knew that. Yeah. Part of the NFL's partnership. So, again, 6.30 kick coming up on Sunday. Fox is the broadcast crew. That'll be Kevin Burkhardt, Greg Olson, Aaron Andrews, and Tom Rinaldi. Kind of weird to think it's Fox and it's not Buck. That's still. And Brady not till 2024. Did I see That's that yesterday? Correct. Yeah. Probably going to need a year to... I'm shocked you haven't commented on his underwear yet, Jake. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> Did you, you send that pic to Shannon or vice versa? <laughs> oh, I didn't have to. Hey, I, I'm... Listen. So what's he going to do for the next year? I mean, obviously... He Hang out with his kids, anything, probably decompress a little bit. Hopefully gain weight. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. <laughs> We're signing off. 15th in the mid-market rankings. We'll see you tomorrow. I wonder why.